Jerome Mayense is one of the most impressive guests we've had on the podcast. His indomitable spirit carries him through every bit of adversity he's had. T-Dubs, what was so impressive about Jerome to you? I mean, when I when I think about him as, as a fan, it was like he didn't get a lot of minutes and we, we got to hear why that was the case. And then he kind of like had this great fourth year with Coach Bennett. And most people accredited that to Coach Bennett and rightfully so. Uh, but it's a lot of it is him. Like he's a really special guy. Like we're very lucky to have someone like that who really fit. When you hear his story, if he fits the UVA mold, right? He's like education first. I'm selfless. I want to be, you know, all those things. Like he lived the pillars before he even knew they were a thing. Um, so it was really cool just to hear from him. And I've been excited about this one because like we've had we've had Sean and Jr. But this that that hit the one person that carried through from Leto to now Bennett, he's the first one we've had. And it's cool to hear the contrasting in those styles, right? There have been multiple people who've requested to have Jerome come on the podcast. And now I completely see why. Yeah. And we got to start listening to these people because they they told us about Gus and they they kept asking for Gus and they kept asking for Jerome. And like those those are two of the more entertaining ones we've had. Jerome, entertaining is absolutely correct. Like, his stories are great. His spirit is so positive. He's just a happy dude. Yeah. And he's gone through so much adversity, right? And you can see why he's so successful, right? With someone with that kind of positive energy, like, it's hard not to be, I don't know if impressed is the right word. Like, it's just like, it's kind of like when we had Coach Bennett's, like, Laurel Lawn, right? Like, they bring an energy with them that's, like, very, you know, that's, like, contagious, like, you know, they come on and they have that spirit and that energy and you, it just carries you. It's just like really interesting. Jerome was just like, okay, another bump in the road, whatever. I'm going to get yeah. through it. I'm just going to follow the path and I'm, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Right? Not just fine, but it's going to be better. Better than fine because I'm yeah. going to make it good. Yeah, he was very special, man. He's a, like, I'm, I, I, if I wasn't a fan before, oh my God, now. It's just hard for us to watch him play. That's the one thing, right? He's going to go off and he's going to play in whatever city now and it's like, we get box score. It's like taking me back to my Brian Stith's first year in the NBA. Like I get the box score and I don't get to see the games, which is kind of, anyway. Hey everyone, this is Mark T dubs and Dougie fresh. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. In addition to the basketball podcast, don't forget about the Jay Willie show, which appears every other Monday night on YouTube. And don't forget about the football podcast that we just launched starring Tony Covington and Ahmad Hawkins. Please check us out on LockerRoomAccess.com for the latest in merch. T-Dubs, anything coming up? Yeah, we got a bunch of gear coming up. I think we have some special um, Grant Kersey and Kyle Guy um, shirts and hoodies. And, we, you know, we've got, we've got some others. We have a Rocky Balboa-themed um, Virginia shirt. I'm actually wearing it right now. Um, and then we'll have we'll have a few others, so definitely – Make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. You'll get you'll get all those updates as well. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Listen to our podcast on Apple and Spotify. All those links will be in the description along with Jerome's Twitter and Instagram. Now joining us, Jerome Mienzi. Jerome, how are you? Thanks so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's 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 been a while since I've been able to talk to Cavalier Nation, and you know I'm I'm excited for the opportunity to share some stories, share some of my experiences over the 
the last 10 years and even while I was in school, four years before then, yeah. Let's clear up the one thing, the name. We just talked about it. How many people call you mayonnaise? Um, growing up, I got it a lot. A lot. Growing up, I got it a lot. And I actually didn't learn until I was older, maybe in my 20s, like the origin of my, my last name. So it means man of spirit. And my grandfather actually spelled my name differently. He spelled it the French way. So my dad, my dad's from Ghana, my family's from Ghana on his side. And he, my grandfather spelled it this French way, which is M-E-G-N-I-S-S-E. So still pronounced the same way, but that's how it's spelled. So my dad didn't want his name to be French, so he spelled, he changed the spelling of it. But I have other family members who have a different spelling of the name as well. So they, they changed the G to a Y, but didn't switch the N and the I. So I like this four different spellings of my last name that I've seen. Like people that are related to me have spelled my name, uh, last name four different ways. So what, what's the meaning? You know, what's what's the meaning of the name again? Man of spirit. So can we confirm that the word mayonnaise does not actually mean man of spirit? There's an actual <laughs> chance it does. <laughs> I should and, I should and, actually uh, make a you know have our own brand of mayonnaise that's called mayonnaise. Oh, absolutely. We're, com we're coming out with that. French. What are the nicknames that you get? Besides mayonnaise, um. One was in high school, uh, the, my, the baseball coach, I almost played baseball for a little bit. He used to call me me nice because when I played basketball, you know, when I, I, was, I was skinny when I was young before I hit the weight room and, you know, I'm a nice guy. I didn't always play physical and tough on the basketball court. So he was like, you're too nice. You play like me nice. You need to play like me mean. <laughs> That's funny. That's Did you funny. Ever did you ever get the Jerome's in the house from Martin? Yes, I, I did that a lot. Actually, my first year, I dressed up like Jerome, like the character Jerome from Martin. <laughs> I had the wig and everything. I put some, uh, like some gold paper in my mouth. I had the teeth. I was going around, Jerome in the house. <laughs> what, what, do you know about, what do you know about the Jerome from back in the day? Chili sauce. Chili sauce. Morris, Morris, Morris Day in the time, Jerome. Mark, you know that one. T.W., you know that one? I don't remember Jerome Chili Sauce. No Jerome, yeah. Jerome was Morris Day's guy that did everything for him. Jerome, get my whatever. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I know all the – like, yeah, Jerome has, has got some 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 landmarks in New York City too, right? We got a lot of Jeromes there. But Ty, I remember Ty getting the first, Jerome is in the house. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> Jerome, you have to be – you have to know – Dougie Fresh is so excited to have you on. He spent a lot of time in Brazil and talks about it often and absolutely loved his time there, right? And I think they're probably, TW could attest this, three things he talks about in almost every conversation he has with us, <laughs> right? One is Brazil, right? right. <laughs> TW, you know the other two, right? Uh, yeah, we're, we're not going to go. Brian Stith. <laughs> Right, and, and, and typically I'm, Corey. Right? Yeah. That, that, that's for that's foreshadowing right there for the record. Yeah. I don't blame him for talking about Brazil so much because I yeah no I no I'm so happy he had that experience because he clearly loved it and that's awesome. But, I, he talk, well, he talks about it. I'm ready to move there. Yeah, you no, know, so so Jerome, I'm kind of like infamously known for my mouth on this thing. 
because I kind of don't hold back. I'm a little bit rated R just in terms of verbiage. Uh-huh. So maybe tonight, every time we, you know, when I have a special word, I'll go Portuguese for it for him. I go Brazil. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Poha. Drunk. Poha. You got, that's, your, that's your first word that you got to learn because yeah, that's yeah. the thing you'll hear the most when you go there. Well, well, don't tell us. We'll Google it later. <laughs> no, you're the Google. It doesn't translate. <laughs> it doesn't translate. It's one of those words that you can look, use in a lot of different contexts. What would you What would you say the English equivalent to that would be? Since you, you know, your verbiage, you. you it's like this. Like the shit doesn't the the shit doesn't translate. It's so it, that's why it's great. Like when I'm in Brazil, I'm Brazilian. When I'm in the U.S., I'm American. I'm, my Brazilian right. side's really good. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you mentioned earlier, you started, you almost played baseball. Maybe start with, how, how did you get into basketball? I get into basketball. So, again, my dad, no, no one pushed me into basketball. I was, uh, I was just tall and, you know, played, uh, you know, Breck at like, Breck, what, Breck, what does that even mean? Like, you know, little club basketball, like nine or ten years old. Um, yep. I was actually shared a funny story. So like, again, when I'm younger, I'm trying to increase my athleticism once I started liking basketball around middle school. I remember I uh, used to, I got ankle weights, which are terrible that we know now, but anything to, you know, increase my vertical, I used to (laughs) put on ankle weights and jump with them. And like one of the songs I used to like jump around and stuff was Jumpin' Jumpin' by Destiny's Child. So I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I oh, man. in the living room doing high knees jumping up and down doing it doing whatever it takes <laughs> trying to get my athleticism so yeah it, it it really became passionate for me in high school because i still i was what six three as a freshman and still couldn't dunk and my teammates let me have it and like it just it drove me nuts and they were making fun of me all the time so I got the the jump soles. I had everything. And like I was on the internet trying to find this is dial-up internet, by the way. <laughs> right. Trying to find something to help me in, increase my jump. So I finally got there. I finally, you know, was able to dunk. And it was like a moment where my teammates were teasing me and the coach kind of looked at me and threw me the ball. And I just went, boom, dunked it. And then, you know, that kind of gratification, everybody started went going crazy and stuff like that. So that that just started my the the my work ethic and then obviously I grew tall I was kind of in the right place at the right time and that's really kind of what what pushed me into you're really committed to basketball see where it can take you so a fairly broad question and if you can answer this in two or three sentences what was it like for you growing up in Baton Rouge and before that when did your family arrive in Baton Rouge um they arrived, they, my parents met in Baton Rouge. My mom's from Jamaica. So they, they met in Baton Rouge um, in the 80s. Uh, they were both working at Southern University. My mom was already a professor at that point, and my dad was a computer technician. And her computer kept breaking down, and he had to come keep fixing it. So that, that's the story I was told. And, <laughs> yeah, I think I think Pops was making sure the uh, computer broke down more often. Yeah, than you I know, guess. Whatever he, <laughs> he wasn't leaving it repaired. <laughs> right. uh, glitch. If 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 then go to glitch. Yeah, or it could have been the other way around. Oh no, right. my computer's broke. What can I, I don't know. I don't know. I just the point. I, let, I let them tell me the story, and I accepted it. <laughs> 
But um, growing up in Baton Rouge, um, in two or three sentences, it, uh, huh. it was, it was, you know, essentially growing up in the South, uh, I didn't, I, I cannot speak badly of Baton Rouge because I didn't really have bad experiences. Baton Rouge has treated me very well. Um, you know, I grew up in a nice neighborhood, you know, I went to good schools, I learned, um, I had great people, I have friends that I'm still friends with that I met in third grade. Uh, yep. So I can't, I can't speak badly on Baton Rouge at all. And then also in that time was kind of a, a I would I say a golden era for Baton Rouge in the sense that we had good basketball at that time. Tyrus Thomas, I played with him in high school. Glenn Big Baby Davis was at Arrival High School. Brandon Bass at Arrival High School. Marcus Thornton at Arrival High School. And we had a lot of, a lot of guys in that era that played overseas like myself. So it was kind of a golden era in Baton Rouge that we had a, a guys that were playing basketball. So I, I, I love Baton Rouge in the sense that this is home, where the heart is. Do I see myself living here after I finally settle down in the United States? Probably not. No, how, how big, like how many high schools in Baton Rouge? I have no idea how big it is. 30,000 people, 200,000, I have no clue. Baton Rouge. Without, without the students. Uh, how many high schools in Baton Rouge? That's a great Did you, you went to McKinley High School, am I right? Yeah, I went to McKinley. So me, one of my best friends from my work time, a guy named Lars Kessner, shout out Lars. He's from Baton Rouge, and he went to McKinley, and I think he went to the gifted and talented school. Right, and we yeah. always make fun of. Is that yeah. is that the same spot? You're talented too. You can make fun of me. <laughs> no, nah, it's just funny because he always we always and he's you know like you guys are gifted and talented and smart, but it's just funny to that's my connection. I always notice though, like on the news, there's me and him always do the same thing. When shit pops off, some weird story. It's always like in Baton Rouge. Like there was that gas station thing back in the day, Baton Rouge, something something that I don't know. Is that is that accurate I've or had, am I like? I've had, I've had some strange stories in Baton Rouge, like strange right. stories in my schools and stuff like that. So, yeah, again, like whenever it's in the news, it's never a good thing. Right, uh, that's fair. That's a good point. So what what was it like hearing from Virginia? Is is that a school that you'd ever heard of, thought of? Like when did that, when did that become an option or a thing? Yeah, so my recruiting process was unique in the sense that I didn't play much AAU um, during high school. So, you know, I didn't, I played a little bit at the end of my, between my junior year and senior year, and then got recruited by Rice, went on my visit. I was almost, I was about to go to Rice because, you know, I was looking for a good school, but I just wanted a bigger school. I'd always wanted to leave Louisiana. LSU was not an option. Uh, Tulane was really it just it just wasn't an option. I knew that there was a bigger world out there, and again, that, right. that kind of that was from the influence of my parents. Like I I knew there was a bigger world out there, and I had to leave Louisiana. Um, so I start my fourth year again. Virginia still not on the radar. I had a couple schools recruit me during the year on and off, and then I get to the end and I play in a tournament in May at this point. And UVA had come there to see somebody else. And I kicked his butt. 
And then they started talking to the Tulane coach, asking, who is this guy? Why isn't he, you know, recruited somewhere already? Does he have a trouble pass, something? And he said, no, you know, both his parents are professors. He just, and he wants to leave the state. He just hasn't found the right school yet. So after that tournament was over, we got on the phone. I was up in UVA the next week or so on a visit. And it was during finals, so like no one was there. I don't uh-huh. Teammates I met were I met Jason Kane, I met Mamadi Dion, and I met, met Sean Singletary. Everybody else was either gone or busy. Those are the only three people I met. Met the coaching staff. The school was empty at that point. Um, and then, but I just knew that was the place for me to go. Like I didn't even take my other visits. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, all right, I'll go to UVA. So I UVA entered the radar in May, and I was enrolled in summer classes in June. Wow. Who recruited you from UVA? Which coach? Uh, Lanier. Coach yeah, Lanier. Rob. Did your parents try to encourage you to go to a HBCU? They, it, it, ironically, they both work at an HBCU. Right. That's why I asked. Yeah. Right. Um, no. They were, they were upset. I would say this. They were upset that I didn't go to Rice. And when I turned down Rice, they were like, well, you're going to you're gonna go to Southern. And I was like, ah, not yet. Wait, be patient. You know, something else will come up. But that was as far as it went. Um, I never had any intention of, of going to Southern. If, if I were going to go to HBCU, it would have been, you know, the school right in my, my backyard. But no, I just right. I never had any intention. Of going. One of so the people that bring that up. You, know, you had that thing where you wanted to get out. So I get that. Rice. Rice is no joke, too. Right. Great school. One of the reasons I bring yeah. up. All this to you is because of the recent commitment by McCormaker, right? Going to Howard, right? Would you, would you, you ever think that that would happen? Um, now more than ever, because again, 10 years ago, you would want to go to a big school because that was your pathway. Like, you know, trying to help you get to the next level. If it's not the NBA overseas, that, that name meant a lot. Yeah. It still means a lot, but now in the age of the internet, it's so easy to have access to information and find people and things like that. Because I mean, look at the ease of how many international, I mean, how easily they, they find guys from overseas and bring them over. And obviously that's a lot harder than trying to find somebody at HBCU. So like going to an HBCU, you become a legend at this school. You know, you go there, you play well, you can bring a lot of attention to them. You become the guy. And then you can still make it to the NBA or wherever you want to get to because, like, they can see your tape. They can see how good you are. And if you're good enough, you're going to make it. Yep. That is all true. They can find you anywhere. So you arrived to Charlottesville when you were 17 years old. Yep. My, okay. my parents had to sign wow. my, uh, compliance papers. They had Would to you? sign. I could not – because I wasn't 18, I couldn't sign my own waiver. I had to get my parents to sign. When's your birthday? December 18th. So, okay. So you weren't even going to be 18 for a few more months. Right. Five right. or six more months. Yeah. Wow. So you, you graduated You graduated in 10th grade then? I think I was 17 in 10th grade. <laughs> no, I just I, – I started school at four. I didn't skip any grades. I just started school at, at four because back then the rule was if you turned five that year, you could start school. Yeah. Yeah, but since then they've changed it. And that I mean it it That's hurt young, me man. that I was always the youngest. So like of course. if 
it's, as an athlete, if I'd have been, you know, held back a year, that would have helped me a lot more, like being sure. older, more mature, because, you know, especially growing up, that year difference in a, in a, in a male is huge. Huge. Oh, dude, 14, 14 versus 12, you know, some dudes, like, already growing the whole thing. So were your, were your parents not pushing you for sports? They were just, like, academics, academics, or yourself or whatever? Not, not, not at all. Uh, all the way until even when I graduated UVA, I uh, had applied to some grad schools and even got some money. Got some money to go to different grad schools. And my parents were like, all right, yeah, he's going to grad school. They, they just knew I was going to grad school. And I, and I right. told them, I was like, I'm, I'm going to go play basketball. And they just couldn't, they couldn't fathom that. Like I had to <laughs> yeah. uh, get coach Sanchez to kind of help me out. Like he, he talked to my parents and kind of called them down, kind of explained the landscape, everything like that. Uh, so yeah, they, they were all about education from birth. That's, awesome. that is, that's how they got to the United States. So that's, that's yeah. the, yeah. the path sense. that they knew that worked. And you said they they weren't thrilled when you decided not to go to Rice. How were they thrilled when you decided to go to UVA? Yeah, at that point, um, I'll, 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 I will admit this: I was a huge Duke fan before I before I. Oh uh, man! Yeah, yeah, I was. Why? Why? Up. Why? Why? Why were you a Duke fan? Because again, it was it was you know a good academic school and a good basketball school. So why wouldn't I like mm-hmm. it? So like, I, I, I had like a little Duke basketball from like one of those fairs. You got to make it in those rectangle hoops. I made right. one. I wanted the Duke basketball. I had a Duke shirt. It was disgusting. It was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in my mind, I was like, I, I got an accepted into Duke and I was like, worst case scenario, I'll just walk on at Duke. That's where my head was, so I was walking on. But again, once UVA came in the radar and I got a scholarship, I mean, that became easy. I'm going to UVA over spending forty thousand dollars a year. At uh, Forty? What? At that time. Uh, so, what were your expectations? What were your expectations going into your first year at UVA academically? Because we know how serious you are as a student, and we know where your parents were coming from. What were your, What were your expectations on the court and academically? Um, academically, I mean, so my mom's an econ professor, my dad's a math professor. So the first question I got asked at UVA is like, what class do you want to take this summer? And my mom's like, ah, take econ. So like, I, I just got pushed into that. So I just started doing that and I, I ended up becoming an econ major and minoring in math just because I started it um, later. Nice, nice. So, it was essentially what I've been taught since birth. Like my mom would always come in teaching me economic principles because that's what college professor moms do. Shout out Ed Burton. What, 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 yeah, shout out Ed Burton. No, Ed Burton's not. Yeah, but shout out Ed Burton. What's your what's uh, what's the biggest um, economic principle your mom stuck in your head? If you had to pick one, elasticity, oh, blah 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 blah. What? Just everything is affected by demand and supply. Everything, Thank you. Everything Nailed is affected it. by demand and supply. Yes, it's supply and demand, no question. I have a, I have a funny econ story. Um, maybe I'll, I'll tell it later. It's not your, your stuff's more interesting. <laughs> Long story short, macroeconomics did not go well for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my expectations off the court were just you know get a 
UVA degree because it means a lot. So I was on course to do that. On the court, um, I mean, especially at 17, my expectations were high. Like, I wanted to play. I thought I was good enough to play. I thought I was good enough to beat out the guys that I was ahead of. Um, I wanted to put on a lot of weight. I think I was, what, 220 when I came in? And I wanted to get to 240 immediately, not knowing how hard it is to put on weight at 17 years old. Uh, but, you know, my expectations were high. It didn't really, you know, didn't meet my expectations after everything, but my expectations were definitely high. I definitely wanted to come in and, you know, be as good as possible. Was there a welcome to, to EVA ACC basketball moment for you? Either Absolutely. Absolutely. So at this point, it's, it's 2000, it's, June or July 2006. We hadn't moved over to uh, JPJ yet, so we're still in U-Haul. And we're playing pickup, and, you know, it's just the load of everything. You're taking classes, college classes for the first time. You're working out three, four times a day, the hardest level you ever. So, like, it takes its toll. And that, that's why the summer is so important is to get you adjusted to that before school starts. Mm -hmm. so I'm adjusting all of this. We're playing pickup one time, and – Jason Kane makes a move, and I didn't fall because of the move. I will go to my grave saying this. I fell because <laughs> <laughs> I fell because I stepped on his foot. But the moment I fell, the game was over. Everybody just right. laughing and carrying on, and everybody just walked off the court. I was like, "Is that is that how we're gonna end?" It's like, yes. Yo, Jerome, it was probably the flies in U-Haul. Do you did you remember that? There were always flies in that motherfucker. It was. Probably, you probably uh, got hit by a fly. My bad. I just put, I forgot. Yeah, U-Haul, it was. Eh. I'm glad I got a piece of it because it made me appreciate JPJ even more. So those two, three months that we were there, <laughs> like. That's that, a great way to put it. Just everything about it, just the heat in the gym and in the locker room, everything. Just, it really made me appreciate the JPJ. So when I walked in there, I was like, <laughs> Yes, like yes. <laughs> Home. Home. Yeah. And, and, and now and now dudes like, you know, our boy, the 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 maestro here, Mark Jerome's son, after practice, he's got like four shakes made for him, Chipotle in the thing, ping pong table. You and know, he's like they don't they don't get it. Yeah. Don't so shakes weren't a problem. Like shakes were stuffed down my throat while I was there because I was trying to <laughs> No, right. like they had these little pint cartons, milk cartons. Yeah, that's neutral for calories a piece. I used to drink right. six a day. Wow. Trying to put on weight. So shakes were never an issue for us. The thing was food. And it, it still burns me. It still hurts me that they couldn't give us food while I was there. Right. So like I'm using my meal card. I'm trying to beg for extra meals because you don't want to spend your own money. You try to get as many treehouse. So every time I go back, and I, and I go back every summer, I take as much food as they allow me to take. <laughs> Red it. They oh, take those right. sandwiches and right. stuff. They got all everything. Chipotle, Jimmy John's, chefs, right. everything like that. So I go in me there. Too. Whatever they don't eat, I'm taking with me. I was like, I'm, I'm still making up for four years that I didn't get anything. Oh, Jerome, <laughs> I, I, go, I, I, go, I, I go ahead of them. I think that rule was changed in 2014. Sure, right. Schools can can get get whatever they want for the athletes, right? In terms of yeah. food, and provide that, as much food as they want. From the beginning, like you you you're gonna withhold food, food, 
and I'm trying to gain weight. You gonna withhold food from me? Hurts me still to this day. That's tremendous. Had you had conversations with Leto? How many had you had before you committed and when you got to campus? Um, again, it was quick. Everything was a quick turnaround. So when I was done with that tournament that they saw me and they called my parents, they were like, okay, everything's done. And I was talking to Coach Lanier a little bit. And then I was on a plane. I was there. Um, so obviously I talked to him during the recruiting process, everything like that. But then once I was there, we didn't really see eye to eye um, because in his mind, I had just come there to get a degree, which was not true and, me, and it wasn't fair. Like I, I did everything above and beyond to be the best basketball player I could be while I was at UVA. But in his head, you know, I was only there for a degree, degree and like, you know, he, he used that against me at times. Like, I remember what he said one time to me, basketball is not a book. You can't take everything literally. I'm like, what, what, is, what, is, what, what does that have to do with anything? And one time he yelled at me, because, you know, he's infamous for yelling at his players. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he messed up, I messed up one time and he yells like, this isn't calculus class. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back What's at it, it was funny. It's funny now, but like in the moment, like what? What does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Wait, what is calculus for the record? <laughs> <laughs> funny thing, I haven't done calculus in ten years. So, <laughs> really like, useful. And, you, and, you, and you, you may never do it again. Right. Right. Um, so, so he was. He was. He was basically mad at you for being smart. Like, like my bad. My bad, yo. I'm smart. You know, I do good at it. Pretty much. And in, in three years, how many face-to-face conversations did we have? Maybe four, I guess I could probably count them on one hand. One, and one of them was after the Arizona game, the first game at JPJ. Mm-hmm. Um, so first game at JPJ, everybody, it was – the top 10 team, everybody's there. JPJ's packed. Everything's going crazy. And we won that game. But, again, up until that point with the practice and everything like that, I'd expected to play. So, again, at that time, I was, I was upset. I was upset. So, everybody's congratulating the next day. And it just, it just hurt me because everybody's yeah. congratulating. I didn't play. So I remember the next day at practice, I I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't smile. I just went after the guys who were ahead of me that play. I yep. kicked their butt that day. So then after that practice, he talked to me. He's like, yeah, I was thinking about using you. Um, but, you know, I didn't, you know, I went to the guys I was comfortable with, everything like that. So that was one. And then for three, the rest of those three years, maybe three more one-on-one conversations like that. That's it. Wow. Did your morale change? How was your morale throughout the three years? I mean, it had to be really tough not playing, and that's why sometimes why, why student athletes pick a school to play their sport. And if you're not getting an opportunity, it's got to be difficult. It was difficult. After my second year, I, I don't think I've even talked about this publicly before, but after my second year, I was thinking about transferring. But what kept me is I, I, was, I was already so involved in the university at that point that I was like, I, I mean, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't leave. I felt like I couldn't leave. I felt like UVA had already become a home to me that yeah. 
I, I, I couldn't leave. So then yeah. the, after my third year, it got really bad because it was, it was, it had gotten to the point, like he tried to make me quit. He didn't say it out loud. No, I said it out loud, but like, just based on like how he was playing guys. And like, we were at Clemson getting beat by 40 and everybody played except me. Uh, so he tried to get me to quit, but I wasn't going to quit. Cause again, at, at that point in my head, I was going to head to wall street, do some of the econ and math degree. And I was not giving up the UVA degree. So I was going to keep my mouth closed and he couldn't get rid of me cause I did nothing wrong ever. So I was going to keep my mouth closed finish out my last year, get it done, and, and just do it like that. So, again, the morale, like, they had some spikes first year, second year. Uh, and I remember third year, this goes back to you, you have to have a relationship with your coach because the only game I started under the Lado era was against U, USF, and I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified and I knew I was terrified and I knew I needed to talk to somebody, but because I had zero relationship with coach Lato, I didn't talk to him and I went out there and that nervousness showed. So then I, I go out there first couple minutes, I play bad. I come out and you know, he's yelling at me trying to fire me up, but that just, that wasn't the way to communicate with me. And I didn't go back in the game, and that was that was pretty much it. After that game, that was my career at UVA before he he left. Did you talk to your parents at all when you were thinking about transferring, and what were their reaction? Um, I it it never got to that point. It never got to me talking to my parents. Um, I think I, I talked to my my ex girlfriend at the time. I kind of talked to her about it, and like just airing it out. It just it didn't feel like the right thing to do because again, I was so involved with the university it had already become my home. I was like, I can't, I can't leave here. This, that, it just wouldn't be, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been yeah. the right thing to do. I didn't feel right leaving and so, I, had to, I had to stick it out. I was gonna say, I, you, what, I, I have a quick question. When you say you were involved in the university, was it like, were you like an imp? Were you in a fraternity? Were you club? I don't know. Or just uh, like you're so ingrained in the school. I well, I uh, well, I was, I was, I am a Z. Um, I uh, I was the sack. I was, was I? I was. I don't think I was in the. I was the sack. I was a student athlete advisory committee member. Yeah, and I went on to become the president later. And I was also part of the student athlete mentors. And we also there was another program called ACE, which was when. Uh, I forgot what, it, what that stood for, but we went in elementary schools and we helped and tutored a little bit. So those things and like yeah. I, just the, the friendship that I, I had already started to make there. I, I, and I love the campus so much. I love everything about it. It just was the basketball part wasn't going the way that I wanted to. Well, don't forget the Seven Society. Oh, never mind. We're not supposed to talk about that. Yeah, so my, okay. bad. my bad. Yeah, you, we got we to gotta educate, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, educate MJ yeah, yeah. about that later. I forgot about that. So Jerome, all my all my dudes, all my dudes from my time, I was never in, invited in society. And they're like, "Yo, fresh, we know why, because you're something else." And I'm like, "No comment, no comment." <laughs> but Mark, I don't, I don't know. Does Mark? Do you know about this? The the secret societies at UVA? 
I've only heard it mentioned, but I've never, no one's ever explained it yeah, to me. Yeah, so we got, we have an actual real Z here. They, they, they paint the Zs around. I don't know. You tell if you want to talk about a drone or not. I don't know. No, I mean, I'll I just say, I'll, I'll just say um, that it's, it, the point of it is service. So doing service behind a symbol. So like, instead of right. Jerome doing something for somebody, it's behind a symbol so you don't know. It's uh so it's selfless service. That that that's the the point of. So again, the Z's we reveal ourselves at graduation, um, and then we just go on from there. But like, oh, the wow. self, for example, they take it to their grave. Yeah. The imps reveal themselves immediately, and like they pride themselves on you know trying to disrupt the Z's to make the sevens look better. So um, <laughs> yeah. little rivalry. You know, there's always inner rivalries and all everything you deal with but the main point of all of these societies is service selfless service service behind the symbol yeah so at this point you have a major a minor you're in four different groups and you're committing a bunch of time to basketball what's your gpa like i finished my, my worst semester was actually my first semester I had a 3.2 that semester because I had to kind of pick up the rhythm. Once I picked it up, I finished with a 3.6, if my memory serves me correctly. I, I didn't know it went that high at Virginia, 3.6. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I graduated cum laude, I want to say. Wow, man. It's, it's been 10 years. <laughs> but no, my, my – I, once I got into my rhythm, and again, I was I was yeah. doing things that I had learned for a long time. They just, you know, gradually got more complicated. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, I, I became very efficient in what I did. My ex girlfriend yep. at the time was also an econ major, so like that helped me when I'm traveling and stuff like that. I can get the notes and stuff from her. You have to. It takes a team to have to be able to really do well academically and play a sport, especially basketball that's so time demanding, it takes a team. So like I mm -hmm. have friends in all my classes. So if I miss time, I was like, well, what did he just say? I used to get notes, copy notes, that, things like that. Like I, I could not have done that by myself. Right. I was going to say, well, so what, what you're going through all this and not obviously the guys on the team aren't necessarily all as dedicated as you. Everybody has their own priorities. Did you feel like you're still a part of the team or did you feel like an outcast at that point? No, I was, I, I always, I always felt part of the team. I was very good at kind of, uh, I don't want to say molding myself, but like I, I'm good at getting along with everybody. Cause you, you kind of, kind of mold your personality to get along with the group that you're yeah. with. Profile switching. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 ne I never would have guessed that by the way. <laughs> That's pretty obvious. <laughs> so, so are you? So things are unfolding on the court, and you're seeing kind of the end of the of the Leto era, so to speak. Did you see that coming? Was the writing on the wall for you on the inside? Like, yeah. Um, again, like I was getting ready to interview, and, and I was thinking about doing an internship between my third and fourth year. I saw the writing on the wall. I saw the right because again going in my fourth year. If I don't play my first three years, why would he play me my last year? So I was I was getting prepared for life post um, basketball. Post basically. post basketball. So so what? How did you find out about Coach Bennett? 
Um, when he when he got hired. Um, because can I, I stop you for a second? Can I stop you? How did you find out about Lado first? Oh yeah. What was the decision on Lado? What at what point did did you either sit down with the team or were you told? Lado like director, yeah. The, who told you? Um, we we were all called in after the season. Uh, it was funny because a lot of us were scared because the the year before when we lost to Bradley. We uh, we thought that we were about to get punished. We thought that it was about to be 6 a.m. practices and running until you throw up like it had been the year before. So we're all expecting words like, oh, my goodness, here we go again. Because we had another disappointing end to the season. So we all get called in there. It's very solemn and everything. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm stepping down and, you know, I'm leaving. And it was – everybody was, like, serious and quiet. A couple guys – really emotional, stormed out, and uh, he, that, that's how the news gave given to us in the, in the film room. The whole team was called in there, and he, he gave us the news like that. But I was, I was, it was, <laughs> for me, I, I was sad at first, because, you know, it's, it's changed. It's like, you don't, you really know how to react in that moment. So I was sad at first, you know, afterwards, couple guys went up to his office, kind of just, you know, let him talk for a little bit, how he feels. Then I got out, and then I remember I called my dad, and my dad was elated. He was like, good. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, if I was you, I would have been fist pumping. But yeah. Right. He, he's like, good. good. I'm glad he's out there. Good. Uh, yeah, Jerome, I was going to say, really? That was really your honest reaction? It was. And then when I got on the phone with him, he was like, good. And I got off the phone, I was like, yeah, that is good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you know what? Yeah, okay. So then um, how we find out about Coach Bennett? So um, Coach Littlepage called everyone. We all met with him, kind of just our thoughts of where the basketball program should go, who we thought should be the next candidate. I thought it was going to be uh, Toby Smith. I thought it was going to come from Minnesota. Uh, so that's what I said. I was like, you know, love to have him, everything like that, but. You know, obviously, uh, Little Page made the right decision. Being Coach Bennett, I didn't know about him before, but you know, he came in, met with the whole team, met with us individually, and yeah, the rest, the rest was history. And did you immediately? Yeah, I was gonna say, go ahead. Did you and Bennett have an initial meeting? Did he meet with every player individually? I know he met with us as as a team, because um, I remember us asking. Who who did he uh, think was better, Kobe or LeBron? That was a team question. Like this is this is our introduction to Coach Bennett, and that was one of the questions that we asked: Who's better, Kobe or LeBron? And there was only one right answer at the time. But Ooh. his response was Jordan. He's like, yeah, he's like Jordan's the most. <laughs> so he he avoided the question. Right. Perfect answer. Um, so he avoided the question completely. I'm sure we had a one-on-one -on -one meeting after that. I just can't remember it exactly. But yeah, we, we, uh, he basically told me like, you know, he's going to evaluate everybody. Like everybody has a, a fair shot. It's not that, you know, because you're about to be a fourth year, you know, I'm kind of just going to sit you to the side. He's like, Every, everybody has a fair shot. The best players are going to play the players that do what, you know, I ask are going to play. And that was it for me. I was like, well, I get another shot. Let me get to work and try to, try to, Revive my career. Did you take him at face value and believe, really believe what he was saying? Or were yes. you like, nah, 
Yeah, because I mean, I took my face value because if I did, I had a second opportunity. If I didn't, then I was just I was I would have been in the same position that I was already. Like again, I'd already right. made plans, and you know, if he sat me on the bench and didn't play me, then I just continue with the path that I was already going on. Right. So I, I took it at face value. I was renewed energy, renewed spirit, and just went after it hundred percent. And did you did you see the change right away? Did you feel it right away in terms of like the practice, the mood, the things? Did you feel a change? Right. Yeah, I did because I ended up. I I started at the beginning of that season. So I started at the beginning of that season. I was playing well for a while, and then kind of had a dip. And then yeah, when I had the dip. I got taken out of the starting lineup. Hassan got placed in there. So, again, it's whoever's playing, whoever's playing the best. So then by the time we got back to ACC, I had won my spot back and played and kind of that's when my career started to take off. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I took him at face value, and he, like he said, he's a man of his word. He said the best players who play, the, the guys that work the hardest, do what we ask them to do, those are the guys that to play. Yo, so why, why that season – why do you think you started as as opposed to where you were before? Why'd you start for Tony Bennett in the early part? You you defended, you you know, lit, whatever. I don't know what's what's the reason you think that he started um, you. Almost to a fault. Well, I guess to a fault. Like I was always the player that I would do exactly what you asked me to do. I would yep. do this to the best. I would run through a brick wall for you as a player. Tell me what you need me to do, and that's exactly what I'm gonna do for you. Um, yep. So, again, with Lado, that that didn't work because again we were we weren't on the same page. She just again had this whole idea that I wasn't there to play basketball or anything like that. But for Coach yep. Bennett, that was exactly what he wanted, especially right. at my position to be in the back line of the pack defense. I'm there, I'm calling out commands, I'm always in position, I'm always ready to help, I'm, all, I'm willing to take the charge, I'm all willing to do any little thing, sprint yeah. down the court, get back on defense. I was willing to do all the dirty work. I didn't care about scoring anything. Told me what you wanted me to do, I did it the, de the, the best of my ability, and that's what he was looking for. Are you sure there's no soft spot in Tony Bennett's heart for calculus? <laughs> He might, he might you know actually what? like. I need to ask him. I need to ask him. Coach Bennett, what did, what did you study while you were in school? You know, is there, is there some backstory why he gave you a second chance? I'll ask him the next time I see him. Nah, it totally makes sense, man. Whatever it was, TB must have loved it because your minute production increased by over 13 minutes. Your point production increased by more than five points. You went from 1.7, I'm sorry, just under five points. You went from 1.7 to six and a half points a game. Right, your free throw percentage went up from fifty nine percent to seventy, oh, nearly seventy five percent. And another big thing was a confidence issue. So, like that yeah, coaching yeah. staff, the entire staff gave me confidence. Basically, the confidence I was looking for since I'd come in at seventeen that I'd never really received. Not, I won't say that. Coach Lanier instilled me with confidence. He was always behind me. He was always trying to push me. But then once he left. Yeah. That left with it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, at that point in my career, that stage of my life, I needed that. I needed somebody to 
Jerome, you can do this. Jerome, okay, we have confidence. You come on, come on, let's do this. But I didn't have that. And that, right. I think, attributed to me not playing well. Again, like, like I said about the US, USF game, I didn't, I didn't have the confidence and I didn't have anybody to talk to about. Right. Isn't that amazing how that works? When someone believes in you, how much you can produce? Exactly. Exactly. I would say. Later, I'm still playing and my other teammates, most of them aren't even playing anymore. I was going to say that as a, as a fan, most of us at that point when we saw what you could do had wished we had another year. Like, Did that cross your mind too? Were you like, dang, I should have maybe redshirted or was that? It, absolutely. You know, yeah. hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm coming yeah. in, I'm 17, yeah. and then based on his offense, I was fourth string. Yeah. So why not redshirt your 17-year-old who's your fourth string player? Right. But Shame. It is, it is what it is. It all worked out in the end. So who were who you battling out your second and third years that you started playing more than your fourth year? Um, well, I was battling Tunji, Tunji Soroye, uh, Lars. Uh, we call him Lars. I, I forgot. Mikulowskis. Mikulowskis, yeah. And then uh, Ryan Penella. So those are the three guys that were ahead of me uh, my first three years. So Tunji stayed another year, but he's, he got injured. He medical redshirted, um, but then Ryan left after two. Um, but yeah, those are those are the guys I was competing with. Right. So, what did you think of Bennett at the end of the season? I mean, the team wasn't so successful, but clearly you had to be really happy. Your morale had to have been uplifted, and and personally, you had to be feeling pretty good, right? And you're still, I'm sure, you know, you got your GPA going on. You got to be happy on the court. On the grounds, you were probably still involved with, with your at groups, um, with your social at groups. I'll say this. I, I'm still convinced that that snowstorm in 2010 that messed us up, that threw off our rhythm completely. We were 3-0 in the ACC when that, that snowstorm happened. <laughs> uh, and it, and it, we had to, I forget exactly what happened, but a game got changed because of it, and a game got canceled, and – at one point, we had to stay at uh, we had to stay at the law school because there was so much snow on the ground that it was worried that we couldn't get from our apartment to to the stadium. And even that game against Wake Forest, they let anybody who could come to the game come. Right. And uh, I had <laughs> I had some friends paint their chests with with everyone had a letter. It was six of us. Six of them had a letter on their chest, and they ran through the snow bare chested to come to that game. <laughs> But, and then we lost that game in overtime. Oh, but, like, the, the, yeah. I, I, will, I will always say that that snowstorm messed up our rhythm. That snowstorm doesn't happen. We finished at the top of the ACC that year because we definitely had potential. We played pretty much everybody close. Um, but, yeah, we got to the end of the year, and I remember a reporter asking me after the Maryland game, after a senior night, and we lost, and like that's when Coach Bennett got the tech for taking off his jacket after that that charge call. He's like, "Are you upset at Coach Bennett for for that call, or you, you think that could have changed the game?" And I looked at him. I was like, "Well, you know, he gave me the opportunity to be on the court. I wouldn't have even been on the court to get that fifty fifty call going the other way if he hadn't given me the opportunity." So of course I'm not upset. So like our relationship is great. So. Ten years later, I was there in February, and it's like I never left. Everybody just embraced me, that whole coaching staff and everything. It's it's truly a family concept. And and he had a reunion 
um, last summer, uh, he invited all 10 years of players that, that he had coached while at UVA. There was a ton of us there. And That's cool. you know, we had a pool party, brought everybody back, even the staff that had worked before, the old coaches who had who moved on, they all came back. And that just shows that how much people love and care about Coach Bennett because they all made that effort to come back and he can mm -hmm. unite all these players from the past 10 years in that fashion. Pretty Do you cool. remember the end of your fourth year and you guys lost, I think, nine in a row? Yeah, yeah, that, that, was, that was a tough little stretch. Again, post-snowstorm, it killed us. It, it killed us. Snow. It this was is snow, a, Mark. It was the snow. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm from Louisiana. That was, my first time seeing snow was at Virginia my first year. And then just having that huge snowstorm, it, it just it took my rhythm away. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking that one to the grave, too. It, it was the snowstorm's fault. We would have oh, lost nine straight games if it wasn't for that storm. When, when you guys saved the law school, just just take a bunch of law students out of their rooms and, like, we got this now? You guys got to go? <laughs> it was – How would you get those dorms? It was, it was in December. So it was, it was Christmas. Maybe they were away. It was, yeah, so they were right. away. They right. were away. They were away. And there's a, there's a hotel back there. Or there was a hotel back there. I, up in the, yeah. I don't remember exactly what happened, but like, it's like a hotel back there. Yeah. So. Yeah, we used to always stay in the Cavalier Inn during Christmas break. We did, too. We stayed there. I yeah. Had a, I low, low, low. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I, I got a lot of stories from there. I had an apartment, so I could, I could stay in my apartment. But, yeah, first year, right. Christmas break, Cavalier Inn, and then we ate right at the, the diner that's not there anymore. Really? Oh, the, the villa. Yeah. Italian, whatever yeah, it's called. It just it's moved eight o'clock breakfast every every day. Oh man, the breakfast so good. Pancakes for days, all of it. Do you remember Italian Villa? Jerome, do you remember what people were saying about Bennett during that losing streak? Um, no, because I I didn't pay attention. Like I didn't go online and see what people were saying. And, and again, I wasn't. It was his first year, too. So, again, in his first year, he pretty much had a pass because they were all Lados players. He didn't really have a chance to recruit, implement his system. So, hopefully it wasn't too bad, too critical. Um, but I, I didn't hear anything. T-Dubs, do you remember? I think most of it was a pass because it was, not, you know, um, not his current players. I remember talking with other coaches, and they were just like, eh. Their their big question was in the ACC is can he recruit because they're like his system is great can he recruit at that at that level and that was really the only question right what's going to happen when he gets his guys in there what's it going to look like but I think it, it was definitely a pass right first year first year in yeah and then when you what was your what was your departure like from UVA with the coaching staff. Um, so I ended up, I, I stayed there until August. Um, so, you know, I graduated, um, and then I stayed there to, to work out because, you know, I was going to head for my first professional job and wanted to get as much work as possible. Coach Curtis was in there in the weight room with me every day, helping me out. Coach Sanchez, Coach uh, McKay passing me the ball, helping me get shots up, working on my game. So they had helped me right all the way out the door 
tried to get me as many opportunities as I could, help me to pick an agent, help me with my parents. <laughs> so they, yeah. they helped me all the way out the door. And then I was welcome back every time I came back to Charlottesville. You know, I got a question from your coaches. Like, you decided to become a professional basketball player. Whatever, whatever level that would have been and whatever money that would have been. And you probably could have got a job on Wall Street in seven seconds. Did any coach tell you not to pursue your uh, professional basketball dream, just go get your money on Wall Street or where, wherever it might be, go to law school, whatever? No, I'm I curious because – no coach told me that. I know uh, Ed Burton, uh, we, yep. we were, my professor, he was trying to push me to Wall Street yep. as much as possible. My parents wanted me to go to grad school, but coaches, they were all like, you know, you can, you can do all of that. You can do all of that later. You just right. give it a yeah. shot. Give yeah. it a shot. After two or three years, if you don't like it, then you can always come back and do all of that stuff. But your, your knees are only going to last for so long. So, Jerome, why were all my college coaches telling me not to try to go play overseas but go to Wall Street? That's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> I mean, it may have to do with talent. <laughs> uh, height, athleticism. So, Ed, you know, Ed Burden's my guy, too. My first, the, the reason I have my first job, I told you, is Ed Burden yeah. just basically told that. somebody. Yeah, he's like, yo, you got to hire him. Like, he, know, he doesn't know one thing about what he's doing. Right, yeah. So Amer American Soccer Exchange. He was he he was trying to get me up there. He sent me up. I had a couple of interviews because of him. What uh, kind of stuff did you interview for? I I interviewed at uh, he he was always intent on putting me into uh, investment investment banking. banking. Yeah, right. Of course. Um, yep. So I, I I interviewed at Goldman and I interviewed at. Yeah, he was he was basically trying to he was family. trying he was trying to kill you. Yeah, he was, he was trying, trying to, to kill your investment bank. But, you know, his, <laughs> his mind is like, you know, you do that for two years, you learn so much, and then you go off yeah. and do your own thing. And back then, I could have done that. I could have done, you know, 40-hour right. days, because right. that's what I heard it requires, 40-hour days. And, right. Uh, uh, yeah, days a little, little more. Yeah. <laughs> so I could have I, I done that, and, you know, done the grind everything like that comes right out of uva but now after you know playing professionally for 10 years there's no chance well uh, a quick question again if if lato stays bennett doesn't you play zero your fourth year do you go play pro basketball or are you just on wall street what what do you think is yeah at that point after not playing my fourth year what's my hope of 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 becoming a professor because right. I'm gonna go to one of these money grabbing camps and oh we'll get your video out the coaches and and then again yeah. the, the confidence issue too is like oh I didn't play for four years I'm gonna have the confidence to go and play professionally right uh, um, so yeah it was if if that change hadn't been happening I I'd be in New York right now not having the experience of going to Brazil. Exactly. And then, and then walk us through your first year out of school. Well, like adjusting to that life. What was, what was that like? <laughs> I will, I'll say this, um, you know, it, again, my background really helped me in the sense that, you know, my, my parents were from different countries. I've gone and, and visited where they're from. And I had that, you know, humility about me because of that. That was very important after I left UVA, which was JPJ, 
just just built brand new top facilities, top coaches, everything to a small city in Argentina, 30,000 people. I'm talking about the, the way we were so dirty, like you grab away, you look at your hand and your hand is just full of rust. Um, we, I had experiences with like, we were, we were on bus rides for an average of 12 hours. These like double decker buses, not even beds. They like recline, recline 45 degrees. You have to find a way to sleep like that. Uh, just no gear. Instead of you know getting shoes every t every every two seconds, you know I thought it was gonna be like that. So I only bought one pair of shoes, and then after a month, I'm like, uh, I had to get my parents to ship me shoes. Learn that you never ship anything overseas to South American countries because they will tax nope. you. Yep. Never do that. It's just the the. And then I went to a, a place that no one spoke English, and I did not utilize UVA enough to learn Spanish. Uh, so I was kind of at the got to start from square one. Uh, so it was the funny story is the 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 culture shock. So besides the language, you know, dealing with everything, the culture shock was great. It was grand because they put me in a hotel at first and they told me you can eat at the restaurant beside the hotel. So okay, I just got there, had lunch already. I took my nap. I wake up. It's about six o'clock and I'm hungry. So I go to the restaurant and it's closed. I'm like, this yep. is where they told me to go eat. I don't have yep. anybody's phone number. I can't contact anybody. There's nobody speaks English. How am I supposed to eat? So then I start walking around the entire city. It's not that big, only 30,000 people. I walk around the entire city and I come back an hour later, no food still. And I see, I pass the restaurant again and I see like a light in the back. So I knock on the door and they're like, oh, we don't open until eight. Like, you open at 8 to start dinner. <laughs> I, was like, I was going to guess midnight. <laughs> That's when they start to close. Right. They start to close. So, like, I came back at 8, had a delicious steak dinner. But they don't eat dinner at 6. They have their little merienda, as they call it, like a little snack, like some cookies, a little biscuit. That's it. Some tea. That's it. But they eat their hard dinner, like, Ate, ate something and like they play basketball games at nine ten at night so i can't tell you the amount of times that i've had steak at like two o'clock in the morning <laughs> full right. steak two o'clock in the morning because that's that's the culture that's what you you have to do interesting so during that during you're going through all that or at, at any point we're like i should have went to wall street absolutely not i was having fun <laughs> okay <laughs> i was having fun i had a blog and everything i was blogging my adventures and like, I just had fun, right. and then my coach found my blog at some point, and he comes and he's like, "Why haven't you put me in your blog yet?" He, he said it his best <laughs> English that he could. Like, why haven't I? Put... And, and that coach, again, you go top facilities at UVA, top coaches at UVA, and now you're coming down here. So there was right. a reason I didn't put him in the blog because I didn't, you know, didn't have the greatest <laughs> basketball mind. Uh, <laughs> That's when, awesome. When he came with me with that, you know, I, I threw him in there. But, like, again, the whole city embraced me because, you know, a tiny city, 30,000 people, and now you have an American coming in and blogging about his adventures there. They all kind of embraced me, like, to the point where at games and stuff, when I was playing well, they started chanting my name. Like, it, what yeah. universe does that happen? Like, that, that was just, you know, some of the experiences that you could never have unless you're in a situation like that. So at no point I thought that, 
man, I need to stop this and, 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 and go to Wall Street, especially because, you know, I was playing what I loved to do. I yeah, always loved basketball. I was good at other things, but basketball was the, always the motivator. Right. Uh, was there any point where you thought coming back home to get in the NBA? Because um, I know, I remember you did the, like, the, the reporter thing for the NBA, and then – but did that ever cross your mind? Like, hey, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna go try try. The, I don't know summer, summer league training camp. Anything? Um, I I tried. You know, and I and I switched different agents. I, I tried different agents that said they could help me get in. Um, again, I didn't have the numbers to do it right out of uh, UVA. And then the older that I got, the harder you know that was to to accomplish. So. It was never, it never really come across the radar. Like it was never a serious, like I never got put on a team. I never got that close. But uh, again, I was having so much fun and like living such a different lifestyle than I otherwise would. I was, I was enjoying it. I was having a blast. Still having a blast. That's right. I was just going to say, so what is your next stop? Are you, um, free, are you a free agent right now or are you in a, in a contract? I'm a free agent right now. Um, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, with, with COVID and everything going on, I'm trying to get that uh, situation squared away, seeing which, which countries are going to play, with how they're going to deal with everything. I should know within the next uh, week or so where I'll play, but uh, hopefully everything continues because it, no, no one knows what's going to happen. I know it's it's a it's a very difficult situation for everyone, you know. My heart goes out to all the people who've lost family members and things like that. And here we're talking about basketball during this time. It's it's tough. Uh, yeah. But you know that that's that's not up to me. All I can do now is uh, stay in shape, be ready that for when the call arrives, and then try and try and do my best. Where where was your last season? Mexico. Right yeah, so I finished okay. the season in Mexico in yep. February, and then a month later I went back to Argentina to finish out their season, and that's when everything got shut down. So I stayed there for two months because they Argentina shut down so early. We're like, okay, they're gonna they're gonna get they're gonna get it back going. They're gonna start it back up again. But then after two months, it was clear that nothing was gonna happen. So came home, uh, brought my girlfriend who's in, in Brazil, brought her here before uh, the borders were closed. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we, does, she, does she only have 90 days, though? How does that work? Or you had to do a fiancé? She got, she got six months, which is well, – That's uh, right, six months tourist. Yeah, so she got six months. Right, right. We at what? first thought it was 90 days, but she got six months. Yeah, I didn't know if, they're gonna, if you're going to be on that 90-day uh, fiancé show they have on TV. <laughs> Can I, can I, can I turn it? Can I do, uh, go ahead, Mark, go, go. Then I'm going to. What is gonna your favorite it. South American country and why? Oh, it's not even close. <laughs> I know, but I always, I always, you know, ease into this answer to not offend the other countries that I've played in. Because again, no. they treated me very well. But if I had to choose, there, there's no place quite like Rio in Brazil. There's, there's no, there's no place. Except for Salvador. Except for Salvador. 
would you say? Uh, I knew the answer. Just made Dougie Smith's day. <laughs> oh, yeah, he he knew the answer. We had a conversation before. We we were sharing. Yeah, stories. I knew the answer. He, he knows how much I love Brazil. So, how many cities and teams have you played for over your career now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So over 10 years, I played for nine teams in nine cities. Wow. That's That's incredible. That's so cool. That's so cool, right? That's what they call it the uh, variety is a spice of life. Yeah. Right, yeah, I've, been, I've been all over the place. Um, my longest tenure was in in Rio. I played there for three years straight. Uh, hardest decision ever to leave. Uh, Why'd you but, leave? I want to. I want to know that reason. So, guys, you don't, you don't, you you probably don't know Flamengo in Rio is like it's a, I think it's the second biggest supporting team of for soccer, right? Supporters. Second, I think Corinthians. No, 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 no. Corinthians. First, 40 million. Okay. okay. First, Flamingo. Okay. Don't make right, me get my Flamingo, Flamingo jersey. Don't, we're not going to go there. No, I had, I had there. a Flamingo jersey. You know what? I, I was 10 years ago, I was in a bar. Some dude liked it. I gave him my jersey like a sucker. <laughs> so, Flamingo is like people, like, it's not like you like Virginia, you like uh, the Lakers. People like live their lives for this shit. And I'm so gonna, we played. I'm trying to explain it the best way I can what live yeah. your life actually means because you really can't understand it until you learn their language and then learn yep. their culture. So that's what I did. I learned their language and then, like, I'd seen them at the soccer games jumping up and down and chanting and screaming and doing all of that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to jump all the way in. I learned the songs. I, I literally march because they, they meet before the games. They march all the way to the stadium. They sing and march throughout the whole game, and they go back. That is more tiring than a basketball game, first of all. When I did that, I was dead. So then I became friends with some of these people as well. And, like, their life revolves around their soccer team. Like, no joke. It revolves around like, you, know, you have dinner with that person. That's the only thing they can talk about because their, their life literally revolves around. Their happy days are when the team wins. Their sad days are when the team loses. And, like, they, if they don't like what's going on with the management, they will go out in the streets and protest. They will, they will, they will fight over it. They will, they, they will give their life for their soccer team. And that's not an exaggeration. That's, that's why. That is how passionate – they are, and you really can't understand or appreciate that until you dive in and really see it for what it's worth. So it, it's no, it's, it's like it, it, all, all the fans' lives, big events, marriages, um, deaths, etc., are marked by the day of their team's game. It, I'll never forget that. I, it, I met a guy it, one time, old timer. He lost his son, and somebody's telling me the story. Poor guy, and he was like, "Yeah." It was the day of Bahia versus Victoria. But I'm like, dude, your son died. That's not how do you care about that game? It was like Knicks versus Cavs. In there, in their club paraphernalia. They'll get married. Like instead of wearing a tux, they'll wear a flamingo right. jersey. Wow. 
That's and, awesome. And then, you know, their baby's born. The first thing they put on their baby, boom, flamingo jersey. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's. Yo, Jerome, one time I was in Sao Paulo. I was, I was back in New York, but I was in Sao Paulo. And I had a, I had a, I don't know, Corinthians jersey on. And it was the day Paul Meredith was playing against whoever. And my cab driver's all nervous. And I speak fluent Portuguese like you. Yo, I'm good. I'm good. Chill, whatever. He's like, he's like, dude, I can't leave your side. And we talking about? He's like, the other team is playing. If somebody sees you, they're gonna kill you. I'm like, not me, not me, not me. <laughs> like he didn't want to. He the guy did not want to drive me because I had the wrong jersey for the day. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable, especially Palmeiras. Palmeiras, they're crazy. They're crazier <laughs> than normal. Yeah, that was a I'll, mistake. <laughs> How long did it take uh, you to learn Portuguese, Jerome? Um, I arrived in Brazil in July. No, at the beginning of August. And by January, I was doing interviews in Portuguese. So I learned it very quickly. I was very motivated. The Spanish helped me, but not necessarily like some of the vocabulary is similar. Some of the words, some of the, the grammar rules are similar. But what helped yeah. me, I, at that point, I knew how to learn a language. I knew the steps to take to learn a language. So once mm -hmm. I applied those steps to, to Portuguese, I learned it very quickly. Right. Um, so, yeah, by, by January, I was doing interviews and everything. I was speaking 100% Portuguese. The only time I was speaking English was, you know, with a couple friends of mine or when I called my mom. That was it. Everything else is Portuguese. That's amazing. Dougie, how long did it take you? Like four days. I'm like... Bizarrely intelligent, Mark. You know that. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, I think Jerome will appreciate this. He said the same thing. So my whole life, I took Spanish. I never spoke Spanish, but I could, like, read and write and do my, you know, my college Spanish test and get 100. I never spoke it. And there's another story about that. Long story short, I had, I had, uh, I had a girlfriend back in the day, Brazilian, and we spoke Portuguese. So I think I had it all back here. And so I learned Portuguese speaking as opposed to, you know, school-wise. And then when I moved there, it's the same as you do. So I, I, played, I played basketball in Bahia out of nowhere, 32, 33 years old. And I had my first game, Margie, I went off for the record. And the local sports station is like, yo, we want you on the, on the station. It's Sunday night, blah, blah, blah. And I go in. It's like all Portuguese. Like, how, how long have you been speaking Portuguese? I'm like, no, I've been here six months. They're like, no way, no way. But it's the same thing. But I, I'm, I'm extremely impressed with Jerome because I'm telling you, nobody does what he did in terms of learning that language. Nobody. I had a, this much of a background. He had this much. And Figured you know, it all out. And how big is basketball in, in that area that you were in? In, versus, uh, versus versus the soccer team, like the support uh, wise. Okay, so soccer team is here, almost off the screen. Uh -huh. Basketball, mm -hmm. I'd say, is about right here. So for right. for us dumb Americans, is it like relative? If it if soccer is like football here, what sport is basketball over there? Is it like? No, it's know. not hockey. Like, uh, hockey. It's tennis. Tennis? Well, you yeah, had your hand. Tennis? You showing your hand, I would say more like ping pong. <laughs> yeah. It's badminton. Like, it, it, there's, there's 200 million people in the country. And again, like yeah. 40 million Flamingo fans. So like, if you take right. a percentage of that, 
and then you put it in a basketball arena, you can still get a lot of people. It still feels like a lot right. of people. Right. But just a comparison, like you get, they don't live and breathe the basketball. It's mostly the same. no, but it, but but the the point is the people that decide to support the basketball team are savages. Right. Like obviously. they live and breathe it. Right. Those right. are the ones that are really bought seven thousand. Oh, they they going up. I've seen. I watch videos of you, Jerome, coming after games and people waiting for you. Mango, mango. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. It was like, they're so passionate. It's like you make a free throw in Brazil and the place goes crazy. Like it's they the most important they shot. They just like, know that you know ball. They don't know any better. Yeah. yeah, that's it. It's like what a shot clock violation. Like? Right. What are the facilities like? Terrible. It depends. It depends. <laughs> I've played in nice facilities. I mean, I also nice. played in places that literally we had to keep towels on the floor. So we're playing, running around towels on the floor as the, the roof drips with rain. But we're, we're going to play the game. So right. we have to just play with the towels on the floor. And the towels just help us know where the wet spots are. So you just gotta you gotta run around it. You gotta, but we're we're still playing. And every time somebody shoots a free throw, somebody comes, wipes the floor, and it gets off. But you're still playing. You gotta. And I played in gyms, South America. The basketball season is during the summer, as opposed to here, where it's in the winter. We're in the summer, and I played in gyms with no fans. If you if you have air conditioning, you're all right. That's luxury. That's like. One percent of the gyms that I played in had air conditioning. Uh, like not even exist. Fans, not even proper ventilation. So I had to learn how to play basketball with a wet hand. Like literally, put my hand under a faucet, wet. Here, here's your basketball. Play with that. That you. Wow. That, that's how the conditions I had to play with. And I've also played in the other ex- extreme where we're playing and the gym is freezing cold. So, like, imagine trying to shoot free throws and you can't feel your fingers. Wow. I've done that, too. I've done that, too. I've played in all kinds of conditions. So, it's... it's, it's Here's something I learned about you, what seems to be across the board fairly true or very true. When you decide to do something, you go all in. Yeah. I'm all yeah. in. If I got to play with these conditions, I'm here. I want to play. Let's go. Let's just go. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. Do we, have time, do we I mean, have time to do the photo series, Mark? Yeah, one, one quick question before we go into the photo series that I'm really cu- cu- curious about was, what did your agent tell you about Brazil basketball when you signed with him? Um, so I'd already been in Argentina for three years, and the team wanted me back after my third year, and I told them no. Um, so then my agent's like, okay, well, this is place in Rio. Go look it up on Wikipedia. So I looked it up and I was just, I called him back. I was like, yes, yes. I knew nothing about the basketball. (laughs) I had read uh, about the city, about Brazil. I was like, yes. And I knew the team was good because we had played against them in Argentina in one of the international tournaments. So like, I I knew like it was good. But once I I saw the city, once I I saw what was available in the city, I was sold immediately. I was like, all right, we're going. There's, there's no discussion. Let's get the contract signed. That's where I'm going. That's awesome. Yo, what's your what's your what's your favorite spot in Rio? Or favorite three? I'll give you three. Favorite spot? Now, now, now that depends on what what am I doing? Am I eating? Am I partying? Yeah, not <laughs> not basketball. Like yeah, eating, partying, whatever. Um, Ipanema. 
I like the beach there in Ipanema. Because it's not too quiet. Lebron is a little too quiet. Copacabana is a little too busy. Ipanema is like right in the middle. Yeah. Uh, favorite place to party. Well, my favorite music is Pagogi. Uh-huh. Uh, so like, yeah, going to a Pagogi on 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 a Sunday, yep. just the best day. So like, it's just, you're just dancing and drinking the live music all day, like four o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the morning. Just drinking, eating, and listening to live music. Everybody's dancing. That's one thing that I'll say about Brazil. People go out. People are going out to have a good time. They're going out right. to sing every word of every song because I don't I don't understand how they know every word of every song. They sing, they dance, and they drink. That is it. I have rarely seen like people like fight or get into it because the atmosphere is just so airy and free and happy when people go out that it was I just I love that part about going out in Brazil. Can I tell you? Can I tell you why everybody knows the same the words to every song? Because, because every cool. everybody sings the same songs. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty simple. Okay. Like, when you learn the language, you see that everything just repeats. Yeah. There's not that many words. It's pretty simple. Lata. But yeah, when you first go there, you're just amazed. Like everyone knows every word to every song. Like how? We have two segments. We have two segments left. TW does a photo image react segment, and then Dougie Fresh has a. A couple a question for you that we ask every every guest. So T Dubs is gonna take you to that photo series. All right. Let's do it. All right. And generally we're like I'll show you a photo. Sometimes they're a video like this one. Just get your reaction. This first one, the JPJ introduction. Michael, I'm always curious. You this is like your first ex, like college experience in a game. And it's got this kind of hoopla around it. What what was going through your mind? Oh, that adrenaline running through me for that Arizona game. Again, like I had the expectation to play, so it was it was nuts. And then even before um we didn't have what do you call that? We didn't have Midnight Madness. Right, right. We but instead we got Earth Wind and Fire, which is ten times better. All right. <laughs> I played the trumpet in high school, so I played all of their songs. I already knew all of their songs at this point. So when they said Earth, Wind, and Fire was coming, I was ecstatic. Yeah. I went there, and I was singing every word to every song, just like the Brazilian love song. <laughs> and a lady looks over at me, and she's like, how old are you? I was like, 17. <laughs> how do you know all the words to Earth, Wind, and Fire? <laughs> Man, it was, just, it was so much going into that first season. I remember it was fantastic. Yeah, that was a big deal. I mean, I, that's still this was still to this day one of the bigger deals ever in Charlottesville, like the opening of JPJ. Yeah. My, my favorite joke when my friends said they had tickets to the Earth, Wind, and Fire JPJ, I'm like, there's no way we're going to beat Earth, Wind, and Fire. Virginia's like, we're, we're in a down year. But anyway, uh, the next one was, was this is the Virginia schedule for your first year. And as we're going through this thing, there's the Arizona game. Um, you know, we lose the first losses at Purdue. I'm just thinking in terms of this is your first season. Was there, was the, you know, you got, you got some minutes in here, but what, what were your thoughts going through this, the, the first year, the, the ringer, was there anything that jumped out to you? Cause I know you talked about it was a little bit disappointing. You didn't get the minutes, but um, were there times where games or things that you remember? 
Yes. Puerto Rico. Now you, you remind me of it. So yeah. in, in this in this time frame right there, the the, the eighth, ninth, and tenth game uh-huh. were played in, in Puerto Rico. And it was at that time that I turned 18. Okay. <laughs> so a couple of stories were there. That was uh in Puerto Rico, the gambling age was 18. So I turned 18 in time to be able to gamble. And unfortunately for me, I gambled all all my per diem away. All of <laughs> but luckily, my parents actually came down for that and they surprised me for my birthday. I had no idea they were going to do it. So, you know, I was still able to eat even though I gambled away all my per diem. <laughs> but those games were terrible. We lost to Appalachian yeah. State and we yeah. lost to wow. Utah. And yep. we almost lost to that Puerto Rican team. Yep. I want to say we were down at halftime. Yeah. And it things were not looking good. So we had I had I, I played in the Puerto Rican game and I played well. So like I, I think I, I played a little bit the first two games, but like I was feeling more confident after that tournament. So I was feeling like I was coming up, playing well, and I was like, okay, now after the 10th game, I've gotten the hang of this. Now it's kind of my chance to to go, to kind of get a shot. And then we play American, and I didn't play at all. So I just went straight back down. Poof. <laughs> so that was one. Um, I was going to say, do you remember what happened, why we didn't play well over there in Puerto Rico? Was it – because I remember that was – the we talked to J.R. Reynolds. He was on here last – whatever, a few days ago. And he was like, I don't know what happened over – like, I don't know what they, happened. They, 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 were, they, were, they were all gambling. He just yeah, told I guess you. so. Everybody lost a per diem. <laughs> it was it was just terrible. I, I can't tell I can't put my finger on it either. Yeah, we lost about 24. Yeah, we <laughs> on a on a team that was actually really good. Like Yeah, it was awful. Appalachian State. Come on, man. Yeah. By eleven. And and we came back at the end of that game. I, I think we were down even more. And then against the Puerto Rican team where the tallest guy was maybe 6'4". We were down at halftime, I want to say. Yeah. So Puerto Rican. I, I, think, I, think, I think he's the same guy that played for UMBC that beat us. I, I, two years. I think the, 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 the thought at the time was that good beach weather, because we were like, at that point we were like 0-16 in Florida. Florida. Uh, right. <laughs> we, anytime we were in good weather, Virginia just laid an egg, and the, the joke was all the you know. It, something about that beach weather, we're, we can't adjust. Gonzaga was the best game that we played while I was there under the Cotaledo era. We shut them completely down. And you put up 108. And we put a, it, it was just perfection. I remember that game. I don't think I even played, but it was, it was perfection. We just yeah. did everything perfect that game. Yeah, Sean and JR went off, right? Yeah. And then, and then we go through a little stint of losing with yeah, Stan, you know, Stanford, uh, Carolina, uh, uh, number one team in the nation, though. Um, and then you, you go down this schedule. Da, 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 da. This is and again, this is obviously your first kind of college season. But then you At go. Clemson was you remember? Do you remember that game? Yeah, down nineteen, and we come back. Coach Lato had given up on us. He was already on the bench, just sitting there. And we some kind of way won that game when Sean Singletary got the, got the rebound. Rebound, threw the pass, yeah. 
he, he, he jumped up to the ceiling and got the rebound. That's the only explanation that I could give. And it was funny because after the game, um, they had a chance to win it at the end. They had the ball at the end. And Jason Kane is on a full sprint trying to chase the guy down that goes up for the shot. And he said he thought we were down. He had a J.R. Smith moment. He was trying <laughs> to foul them. Oh, no. Imagine if he would have fouled them in that moment and we were up one. Coach Lato probably would have cut his head off. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. That later. And then obviously the Duke game after that. Yeah. And then we were, we were on a roll. Yeah, we made a shirt. We made a shirt. It's called the Singletary, the look. And it's yeah. got him right out there when he's pointing at the cameraman. Um, but they had that. And then what about your first ACC tournament? Do you remember? Do you remember that? Lost. Oh, we, 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 Miami was like last in the ACC. We, we just had to win one more regular season game to have it outright. But then it said we lost to the Miami Wake and I think uh, NC State were the three bottom teams at the <laughs> ACC that year. And that's, that's right. We lost that's right. It's just it was frustrating, I think was the word. When we got to ACC tournament, it just lost the first game against Norfolk. Just frustrating to have the talent that we had, the, the season that we had so far, and then lose the first game in the ACC tournament. It was frustrating. Well, North Carolina State, had, a, for whatever reason, they always played really well in the tournament. Like, they'd turn it up. I don't know what it was. And they had a, they, they had a streak of beating us in the tournament. Yeah. Um, and then and – then, you know, Jr. talked about this was his, what he dreamed about his four years playing in the NCAA, and this is you, you just walking into this thing. What were your thoughts? NCAA tournament, the hoopla. You've seen it before, but being a part of it, what was it like? It was a lot of hoopla. Like it was, it was like it. It. I was in awe. I think I was in. I was in awe twice. I was in awe the first time we played at North Carolina. Just seeing the names and the jerseys and the yeah. Raptors, I was just I was just in awe. I just couldn't just couldn't kinda I was just, you know, starstruck. And then also going to the tournament too, just it just seems like the lights were literally brighter yeah. than any other moment that I played. Like everybody and I got to play that game because we beat Albany so much. So like I got the I got that was my only NCAA tournament kind of experience, but it was it was well worth it. Um, it, was, it was everything that you, you know, dream about, like watching it on TV. It's just the kind of energy and excitement surrounding it. Right. Unbelievable. And then that Tennessee game, JR, JR goes down with the ankle injury. He talked about it at halftime. He didn't want to let anybody know how bad he was hurting. But did you, did you guys know? Um, we, 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 we kind of saw it, but we knew he was going to fight through it. Yeah. I mean, there was no doubt. And it, it was funny. <laughs> Because he, he was a fighter. He was our leader. And it was funny. He almost couldn't play against Arizona because he got yeah, poked in yeah, the eye. Yeah, that's right. Andy Burns. And, yeah. like, imagine being the walk-on that pokes JR in the eye and almost gets him out of the first game against the number 10 team in the country in the opening of the JBJ <laughs> arena. Like, he didn't start. He said he's still, to this day, so upset that he didn't get his name called by Michael Buffer. <laughs> Yeah, but we didn't think he was going to play. He couldn't see. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, man. So, yeah, untimely injuries for JR. So then the Tennessee game, Sean misses that three. At the end. And at the end. It looked good. Oh, it looked good. 
it looked good. It looked like we had it. And the, but then, what what was the process like for you after the end of the season? Like, is it was there obviously there wasn't an exit interview with Leto, but it, did you guys like Jr's gone now? Like Sean was debating going pro. Do you remember well, anything? For me, it was it was time to go to work because now is my shot. Okay, right. I was seventeen. I just turned eighteen. As uh, you know, I need a little time to figure this out. But now it's time. It's it's go time. All right. So I went, I had, I had put on, I put on 15 pounds of muscle Wow! between my first and, and second year. I was, I was 235 and did not gain any body fat. So I put on the muscle. I was ready to go. My spring workouts were fantastic. But, you know, I just, you know, for reasons we talked about earlier, it just didn't. Didn't, get, it didn't come together. And then the, I'll just say, then we, then we come back to the next season. I mean, at Arizona, we get a win. Things are looking really good, actually. Beginning of the year, what you weren't playing was was your were you into this season at all, or were you like, "Come on, man, let me just get in the game"? Or how was? Yeah, I, I actually I I remember that Syracuse game. I had a great game that Syracuse game. Oh, this one, uh, yeah. Yeah, I came off the bench, and again, it was supposed to be another coming out party for me. Actually, I think though that sequence right there. The Syracuse, Longwood, Hampton, I've been mm-hmm. playing. I've been playing well. Uh, and it was, you know, coming out of, you know, doing things well. And then Xavier, it all fell apart. That, oh, we got kicked out of the locker room after Xavier. Oh, yeah, that, that was that was, that was bad. 70 108, we lost. Oh, yeah. That was, that was bad. We had to, we got kicked out of the locker room. We lost our jerseys, everything. We were practicing in gray shirts and blue shorts. Started from scratch. Then and we lost to Duke. Then we go to Duke. Yeah. yeah. That was a tough stretch. And then, yeah, I think um, the one guy hits the game winner on us, Tech National TV, right? Yeah. And then that Florida State, that ref called an intentional on me before I even touched the guy. Because Sean, we, were, we had the lead, and Sean turns the ball over. And, like, again, that was another time that I had a chance to play. I was playing well. I had a big dunk. I was feeling good. I chased the guy down, and I hadn't even fouled him yet because he thought I was going to foul him, and he balled up. So I had beaten him down and had my hand on his hip because I was kind of preparing to foul him, but I wanted to get in front of him. So I had my hand on his hip, hadn't fouled him yet, and a referee on the other side caused him in unsportsman. Oh, I'm still angry about that. Oh, wow. It's funny the little things that you remember as you go through the schedule. Yeah, totally. And then, and then, yeah, we go through this crazy lose. We we lose a lot of close games down the stretch here. But I was gonna, I was gonna ask, like, what was the mood like as a team? You know, this is Sean's last year. Like, he had a lot of obviously, you know, thoughts of having going out another NCAA tournament. Did you guys start? feeling that slip away at this point or I I mean at that point it was everybody else's fault except Sean's yeah at that point you want to call talk about division on a team it was it was everybody else's fault except Sean's and again coach Lato played into that well he he created that and then again Sean was playing 30 35 minutes a game so he wouldn't practice so he's not practicing we're practicing for two hours and stuff and then we get in the game and all that we practiced was for five minutes a game that he's on the bench. So it was just it was a lot of dis, 
connect, dysfunction. It was it was just all bad. That's yeah. crazy. And then and then the one game I I wanted to to ask you about was this ODU game in the CBI, first ever CBI that we participated in. What was the mood like for that? Were you like, is this a joke? Are we really playing in this, or did you were you guys up for it? It was, it was, we, it was, so again, if you go back up, you see all the losses, you see how bad the season <laughs> right. was. We wanted it to end. And then here comes <laughs> you guys like, no, 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 no. The knife's not in deep enough. Let me, let me stick it in some more and then twist it. Bradley was the twist. This playing the CBI was them sticking the knife in our back just a little bit more. And then Bradley, oh, uh, that was the twist. Oh, we lost to Bradley. And again, Two days later, he had to run. Six a.m. practice. I'll, I'll give another gross story. Just throwing stories out there. You can pick the ones you want to keep. So we we having these six a.m. practices, and I know we're practicing at six a.m. It's like seven p.m. or something. I'm hungry. I was like, you know, I'm gonna just eat something light because I know tomorrow's gonna be a rough day. I go to McDonald's and get a chicken sandwich. And I was like, that's, you know, light, not gonna get any red meat, something light. <laughs> the next day, I threw up three times. Every, all of that chicken sandwich was all over my shirt. <laughs> and that literally was the last time I ate McDonald's. That's a, that's a good reason. Just, just threw it, and then, <laughs> so again, it was also war mode at that time, so like, Coach Yellow's, Coach Lato's yelling and everybody, it's in survival mode. So, like, at one point, I'd already ruined two of my shirts. I had throw up on the third one, and I had to keep going. So, <laughs> we're doing one-on-one full-court dribbling, and Tunji has to guard me with throw up on his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> poor poor Tunji, he didn't want to touch me, but he had to stop me because then he could yell at her, possibly at the run, and just... I got throw up on my shirt and I'm going. Let's go. That was that was the atmosphere oh post Bradley. Yeah. So wow. that's what we thought was going to happen the following year when it got called right. in the film room. Right. I was, the one the one game I remember is the ODU. These guys aren't going to remember it because why would you watch that game? But I remember <laughs> we it was it was we were down one ten seconds left. ODU had the ball. And, or no, it was tied. It was tied, and and ODU had the ball there, bringing it up, and Sean steals the ball and drives down and hits the game winner off a of steal. Do you remember that? <laughs> the reaction from us on the bench was, it was like, "Yay, we won the game!" But oh shoot, we gotta keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no that spring, was no spring break. Week. It was bittersweet. It's like, oh, we won. Oh, we got practice tomorrow. <laughs> I just wanted to be over. And yeah. he does that and wins the game. We're just like, I, oh, I remember that now. I remember watching that game and thinking, what? And I, I don't think I've ever seen someone pick have a have basically a pick six to end the game in basketball like you know like they they are trying to win the game 10 seconds left and he steals the ball and goes down and hits the game where i was like what in the world <laughs> anyway yeah, um, I, I, that was so bittersweet goodness <laughs> that's so funny that you say that and then here here's leto's last season as we go through this one and we talked about you know 
the crazy stretch of 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 losses here. But anything, anything I mean, at Auburn played Xavier again. Um, this is bad. Man. This is bad. There's a lot of losses in here. Yeah. Clemson, we, we we beat Clemson in overtime. We beat. Uh, yeah, beat Brown. We beat Brown. Beat Tech, and then we end the season. I remember the you know, beating Maryland was nice. Beating Maryland's always nice. It's always nice. So then that takes through pretty uneventful season. How? What about for you personally? Do you remember any big games you had in here? Uh, that, yeah, I mean, I talked about South Florida. Yeah. Uh, I mean, pretty much, yeah, it was. South Florida, right at the beginning of the season. Right at the beginning. And it, it, was, it was pretty much done for me after that. Liberty, I remember that when um, – Yeah. When uh, Seth Curry gave us 30, yeah. he's the 30 I ever saw. He he just lit us up. Yeah, that, that's a, that game right there got him his scholarship to do. Right there. Yeah. That's the game. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, he lit us up. Um, he transferred? Yeah. yeah. He transferred to Duke. Oh, I didn't know that. Auburn was tough. At that point, I still had hope, but then I could ask all right, so, yeah, and, and, and then, then Clemson was the one where it was just my career was just done, done. That's when he played. <laughs> he played. He played uh, Brandenburg. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he played him over me. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. John Brandenburg. John Brandenburg. Who went on to have some crazy stories? I've, I've read. Yeah, yeah. We're not get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this podcast, but we, we we won't go down that path. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then Coach Bennett's first season. You you talked about that crazy run t- towards with the snow, and then we had a bunch of losses in here. But I was going to ask, how is the pack line for you? Because it's always harder. I feel like it's harder for the bigs with the hedging and the recovering. How was that for you to pick up? Um, that, that wasn't, that wasn't the hard part for me. The hard part for me was staying flat when I had to, you know, shape. So like a guy is coming down the lane mm-hmm. and I had to stay flat. Cause like in, in Lato's defense and what I've been taught before is like, I would go to the ball and then right. somebody would have to come and cover me. But right. Right. in the pack, I have to stay flat because if I leave my man, there's no one to cover me. Right. So that was that was the adjustment, and then um, in the post, trying to get baseline side. So like when the ball goes to the wing, I'm on I'm on the top side, but when it goes to the corner, I have to get baseline side. That was tough. It right. was tough to get around that sometimes. But other than that, the hedging wasn't a problem. You know, I was athletic enough to do it. Um, you know, the X and out between the bigs, I didn't have a problem with that. You know, I was playing with Mike Scott at the time. Yeah, that's the that's the next photo. Yeah, that's the crew right there. Landisberg, Farrakhan, Mike Scott, and you. Yeah, that was the squad. Yeah, Jones in front of me. Yeah, that was that was the squad. And I was gonna say, what what about those guys and their their careers? What was the transition like for for those guys going for Coach Bennett? Oh. Uh, well, Mustafa still has the best dunk I've ever seen live. Yes, NC State. Yeah, it's still the best dunk I've yeah. ever seen live. That was amazing. Um, Sylvan, he—I mean, whether Lato stayed or he—he he was not staying at UVA for four years. Yeah, he, he yeah. already knew that. 
he wasn't worried about it. He was just that was that was his thing. Uh, you know, Coach Bennett, out of out of everyone, I think helped Mike Scott the most. Yeah. Uh, just, Hard to argue that. Yeah, he, that, that Mike Scott benefited the most. He turned. Not that he, the, Mike Scott wasn't talented, but just I think even more on a mental aspect. They, the coaching staff really got to him mentally. Like, we need you to come, and you need we need you to be a leader. We need we're going to teach you how to be a leader, and we want you to become that leader. Right, and that's what he did, especially his last year. Uh, yeah, and then, you know Mustafa finished out his career. You know he had a pretty good run as well. Jeff Jones shouldn't have left. Uh, I, I think that was an unfortunate decision on his part, but you know everybody has to choose their own path. Yeah. And then, yeah, this and that travel that they called on Mustafa. We're playing um, Maryland Senior Night again. I'm uh-huh. I, I'm I'm feeling great. I think I just had that dunk when I spun baseline and had the dunk. Next play. I'm about to get the ball again. He's trying to throw it in. And they call travel because he, like, he inched his feet like this. Like, something so subtle. <laughs> it just never gets called ever. Like, it had no effect on the play, nothing. But those referees were out for it. That's the only explanation. Yeah. He, like, moved his feet like this as he tried to make the entry pass, and they called travel. Wild. I was going to say, this is, this is the one I was talking uh, about. Pick six. <laughs> Pick six. Four seconds left, game winner. I, don't know, I just thought that was crazy. The and boys, then we, we looked at each other. We're like, ah. yeah, we got it. <laughs> no, no spring break. And then this is you with KD. What was that like for you, interviewing all those guys and being that? Um. What was, what was that? What officially was that? You were like the... I was the host for the NBA house. Okay. Um, the NBA house in Rio during the uh, 2016 Olympics. Uh-huh. Oh, so, nice. again, they wanted me to, you know, get footage with the players, you know, just create a lot of content. To have yeah. content moving to keep people wanting to come to the house, to, to just to, to show what's going on in the house. That was my job. So they, they, they flew me out to, to Vegas. I got to watch these guys practice, which was amazing, by the way. Um, and then after practice, I got to interview them and talk to them a little bit, which it was interesting in itself in the sense that, like, I had been in their shoes, like, being interviewed and stuff like that. So I didn't want to come off as a reporter. So, like, first thing that when I approached them, I was like, like, I'm doing this for the NBA. I'm not a reporter. Like, you can relax. You don't have to give me the generic – political answer i'm not here to try to trip you up because a lot of those uh reporters are trying to trip people up like i remember one guy asked carmelo literally for 20 minutes and i sat there and i waited for carmelo out there he asked carmelo for 20 minutes about kobe during the olympics the previous the previous olympics week 20 minutes of questions about kobe <laughs> the previous olympics. like how awful is that and then there was another report i remember Talking to Draymond Green, because um, this was after the finals that they lost when he got suspended in game five. Just like the worst questions imaginable. Like, I, and like I, when I sat down, I was like, I, 
you you're stronger than me. Like you you held your own, you held your composure and all that. Props to you. And then like I started talking to him. <laughs> this is for the NBA. I'm gonna ask you some fun questions about Brazil. That's it. Maybe get to try to translate a few words, but like nothing to that point. But yeah. KD that was, that actually, was cool. Yeah, it was. I was, was, was going to say, what, any stories out of that that were fun for you that you can remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was talking to Paul George, and I was like, are you looking forward to Rio? I was like, yeah. I was like, what, what part are you looking most to? And they didn't add this to the video. I knew they were, but it's like, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the girls doing, the, you know, the, the booty dance. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We <laughs> heard about the booty dance. There is a booty dance. He, he knows what somebody told him correctly, so – uh, he, he he talked about the booty dance, and uh, but they didn't add that in there, so that was fun. KD is super tall. Uh, he's taller than he's listed. He list him at six nine. There's no way. He's There's seven no feet, way. right? He's a seven footer. Yeah, he's long. And he, his workouts are amazing. Like he goes, they finished practicing, did everything, and then he started working out at a thousand miles an hour. So like, really, you, you just watching those guys practice and work out, like you see the difference. Yeah. You see why they're elite basketball players. Um, what else? I couldn't talk to um, Kyrie because he was just swarmed every second, every uh, – there's no time to talk to him. Anybody else with a funny story? Oh, another funny story. So, like, I went to um, interview Boogie Cousins, and, like, the guys I'm working with, they're like they, – they literally treated him like he was a tiger in the sense that – you got to be, hey, you got to be careful. We don't know what, what kind of mood he's in. Approach him slowly. Like, <laughs> I'm looking at him like, stop it. So I just go over and I'm talking to him. He gave one of the best interviews. He was just, you know, friendly and everything like that. Because it's, it's how you approach people. It's how you treat people. Not, you know, you got to be worried about what mood he is. You know, I went and smiled like, hey, you know, I'm doing this for the NBA. Not doing any, you know, any questions. Not trying to chip you up. Not trying to get on your nerves. Let's just have some fun. Speak a little Portuguese and go from there. We had a we had a great interview. That's awesome. And then a little bit a little bit back to the UVA pod. Um, we got the most underrated. We tried to do this with sort of that era of of Gillen and Leto, and we put you on here. We got Kane, Jason Kane, Devin Smith, Elton Brown, Majestic Map, Jason Clark, Son. Keith Friel, Travis Watson, Todd Billett. Any of those names ring a bell in terms of well, – well, exclude you from the list for, for this purpose. Um, I mean, I, I heard about uh, Elton Brown's talent. Uh, you know, I heard, you know, maybe his work ethic wasn't the highest, but I definitely heard about his talent. I played against Devin Smith mm-hmm. um, one time in the Intercontinental Cup. Because he was playing in Israel and my team in Brazil, we ended up beating them. Uh, Jason Kane, I played with him. He was great. One of the best rebounders I played with. And Travis Watson also came back a lot during the summer. Actually, I learned a bunch with him. He's a great post player. He, yeah, he he's, got that, he's got that big man's shoulder. And some guys have it. Some guys don't. There's not something you can teach. It's just, he's got that shoulder. When he hits you with that shoulder, you go backwards. <laughs> and how to play out of that. That's so. awesome. And then this next one is Coach Bennett I, screaming. Where were you? I felt like I had 
I I won the national championship. First of all, that 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 three games three game stretch. So against Purdue, I had a game. So we're winning most of the game. I'm like checking it. I'm checking it as soon as we uh, finish the game, and then I see like they're getting closer and closer and closer. So I get an Uber to go home and I bring it up on my phone. So then we start losing. I was like, this can't happen again. Like I was about to cry. <laughs> I was like. Not again. Like, we had to have made the Final Four. Like, we needed to make the Final Four. So I'm in the, this Uber about to cry. Mommy hits that shot, and I scream. And I scream so loud and suddenly that the Uber swerves. <laughs> if there were anyone else on the street at that time, we'd have had an accident. <laughs> I was like, ah! He just blew <laughs> That's so great. So by, by the time I get home, it's overtime. I sprint up the flights of stairs, get to my room, and then watch it. And then just, I honestly, this is no joke. I, my heart was beating faster and I sweat more watching that Purdue game than I did in my own <laughs> game. Right. <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. So then the next one is uh, Auburn. All right. Uh huh. And I think that one I got to watch at home and. Kyle steps up to the free throw line down two. What are you thinking? I I I got underneath the couch. Like I, I couldn't <laughs> sit on the couch. I couldn't I couldn't lay on the floor. I got underneath the couch to watch that because my nerves were just that bad at that point. It was because and then you start getting superstitious. Like I I was I started texting a friend and then we started playing badly. So then I yelled at that friend, "Don't talk to me anymore." Like, <laughs> my girlfriend had to stay in the kitchen. Like this. Everything superstitious to make sure I was doing my part to help them win. So they won that game, and then that was great. And then I was actually able to watch the finals with uh, a couple of UVA fans. I was pacing back and forth. I was pacing in the street during timeouts. I was on the floor for seventy percent of the game. And then when they finally won, it was just relief. I could like breathe and stop sweating and stop having you know <laughs> close to having panic attacks. But it, and, and the, the worst thing was the Final Four, I had a game between. So I had a game mm-hmm. before and I had a game in between. If I didn't have those two games, I would have flown to Minnesota. If I, if I only had to yeah. miss one game, I would have flown. I, That's was, a, I was just going to ask you, what were your thoughts? Were you, were you thinking of making that trip? And it's a long ways. It, it, I would have made the trip. If it were only one game to miss, I could have asked for one game. But two games, was, it, it was too much. That's a lot. Two, two games is a lot. Again, like they're paying me. Like it's not like I can just. All right, we did this out of order for you, just cause, just cause, why not? But then the reverse I of that. Watch that game. I couldn't watch that game because I had a game that day, uh-huh. and like I would, I just knew they were gonna win. So like, why, why even stress myself out to watch that game? Right. So then my teammates are like, Virginia's loose. I'm like, no way. So I couldn't even get it up on my phone, and they lost. And I was just like, just, just no, just the backlash from everybody, especially my team <laughs> there, because I wear UVA gear at least twice a week. Okay. That's just I, since I've left UVA yeah, yeah. Gear twice a week. Still, you know, every day, wherever I go, I got my UVA gear. So they they let me have it. Like you, where do UVA? They let me have it on the internet. People were going nuts, everything. It was just, it was just bad. So then the following year, I gave it back. You have so to. I made, sure they, I made sure they knew who won the national championship. And I tell them even now that we are, 
we're we're two year national champions. Yeah, we I mean, have not chance. been uncrowned. Might we be are, th- might be three years the f- that way things are looking. Yeah, it's not looking good. So right, might be first three year champion right there. Boom, UVA. And you didn't get to watch this one, so that's good. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have to suffer that heartbreak. Wait, that's not true. I did see the end of it. I did see the end of it. Oh, you did see the end. Like, yeah. It was Isaiah's last, and I was friends with Isaiah. And it was, that was just tough. That was tough. And, and then here's this next one. This is the t- this is the team kneeling. This is now five years ago, but this is after Colin Kaepernick uh, was kneeling for injustice. The Virginia team also did this. Were you aware of this? You, no, you... I never saw this photo. Yeah, so this is um, Ty's first year. All the guys kneeled, sort of snuck out after practice and did it and posted it on the official uh, Virginia account, which I thought was really cool. But just wanted to get your thoughts on that in terms of like all that's going on in this world, this picture. We've been doing this picture almost every podcast, but like it's even more relevant now than when we started doing these. Absolutely. I mean, I'm glad they were not, not I mean, they, they, they took the initiative to do that. And it shows, you know, the kind of the character that these guys have to try and take a stance and stand you know, on the right side, you know, this early when it, when it wasn't the popular thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think now, you know, it's, it's, it, it's the popular thing to do in the sense that uh, it's more socially acceptable, but like for them to do this back then, I think this is great. It speaks to the character of every one of them. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm happy with the change that has happened so far. I think there's a lot more that needs to be changed and i think that uh some some of the things they're they're trying to paint is change it's not really change it's not the systemic change that we need right the problem is with the systemic racism the problem is with the systemic inequality that derives from that so like until you change those things and for me it has to start with education how public schools are funded is the most fundamental problem that we have. Mm-hmm. And then from there, the other, the other problems stem from there. But until like that gets changed, like I don't care that the NFL is playing the, the Negro national anthem. Like that, that doesn't, that's not hiring more black GMs and black presidents right. and black coaches. Right. That's not solving the problem. That's just right. like here, you know, just like yeah. it's, it's, it's false thing. So like there has been positive action that has happened but there's still a lot of work to do. And I hope people don't see like things like the NFL playing the national anthem as something that is what we're asking for. It's not. Right. right. And then here's this next one. These are the guys marching, um, the neo-Nazi, whatever you, I don't even know what you call these people marching with torches at, at our alma mater UVA. Did you, did you see, where were you? Yeah, um, that, w- that was tough too. And then, remember talking to the coaching staff afterwards and like the fact that it happened on UVA's campus and UVA doesn't look like this and like these people are not part of the UVA community right it's really tough because it got labeled with UVA right so that was tough and I remember him saying like how how do you explain this to recruits like how do you get you know, black recruits still come here after, you know, somebody right. died, like after all of this nonsense yeah. that took place. So again, right. as much as I love UVA while I was there and afterwards, uh, 
it, it has had some dark moments. Yeah. Definitely one of them. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is tough. And I was going to say for you, now that you've traveled the world essentially and seen so many different things, like what are your thoughts on just just like the comparison we're thinking obviously the infrastructure here in the united states um the police the militarized police the things like that do you feel that in other countries do you feel that in in other areas that you're as a black man in other other regions of the country do you feel racism as well in other countries um especially police i'm thinking in terms of police police um The only encounter or that could have somewhat been negative, that could have been negative with me, uh, with the police was in Brazil. And it just, I was like, I was like downtown hanging out. I was walking, waiting for somebody and it was nighttime. And then I get surrounded by policemen. And then one of them recognizes me. It's like, you play basketball for Flamengo? I was like, yeah. And then the air, then the air just, you know, everything dissipated. Uh, but that's the only kind of encounter like that that I've had. And, and I mean, nothing happened because one, you know, I stick out in the sense that in Argentina, they're not going to mistake me for an Argentinian. They, right. It's pretty clear that I, you know, I'm American. And even in, in Brazil, the second that I opened my mouth, uh, they they know I'm not Brazilian, right. um, so and I'm also six nine too. So it's like it's not quite fair, but it's it's not quite fair. And I and I have to always when I get asked questions like that, I have to you know first state that that like my experience is not the norm, but you know I have friends and I've talked to people who've had a lot worse experiences than I have with with the police, right. But as far as like being overseas, like I, I, I haven't had any negative experiences with the police. And then the last one I was going to ask you is, um, we have, uh, where is it? The best hair in UVA history. Here, I'll, I'll pull it up here. Um, let's see if it'll pull up. I'm, I'm biased. I think I, I think Doug said this to me, but I'm. I'm biased. All right, we 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 did the most underrated. Okay, what what are your thoughts before you even see it in terms of UVA hair history? Oh, it's it's absolutely Andy Burns. It's not even close. <laughs> yeah, we, we we left him off. We left him off. It's for sure Andy Burns. He's he's on the all snub list. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, on this list, I can't stand Mommy's hair. I can't stand it. Can't. I did not like. I wasn't a fan of the blonde. The blonde demolition, demolition uh, man. I love I love the uh, cow guy's man bun. I, I loved it. I loved. It. I, so I'm, I'm taking. I'm going with cow guy. I loved it. His first year, yeah, I, I was all about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a. That, I liked it too. It was very polarizing. A lot of people thought it was. I was just like, he could have owned that from a marketing standpoint, like yeah. in, in in terms of. But I, I get it. He he wanted to take the attention away from his hair. London's hair always special for whatever reason. The old school flat top. Was yeah, I I, I like that up. too. 
Yeah. Know, I, I'm a fan of the, of the braids when, when John Till and Mike Scott did the braids. Yeah, the braids are cool. Like, yeah, that was awesome. Even until they, they make the tournament, uh, I was a fan of that. And then Tomas did it as well. Yeah. Um, fresh with the clean cut here. Where'd all that hair go? Stop it. <laughs> and Barry Parkhill still got it. Yeah. He does. Yeah, that there, there it is. Uh, no country for all men. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and then fresh, your question. Hi, Jerome. This is like your criteria. There's no right or wrong answer. We do the Mount Rushmore of UVA basketball. Give me five, though. Five, not four. Your five, yeah, your five best in the history of UVA. Five best in the history of UVA. Um, it's tough because, again, I I didn't know UVA until I went there. So for my yep. for my time, I'm I'm gonna put Samson there because again, everybody knows him. And then the four other four, I'm going to choose from my era or the people. Fair. Yeah, that's was. fair. Very fair. Good caveat. Um. So I put Samson, I put Singletary. I'm putting Malcolm Brogdon. He's not your era, but that's fine. Uh, I'm putting Monica Wright. I like it. Who's that? The the best female player to play at UVA. Uh, yeah. Oh, after, no, Don Staley. The yeah. second best, but that's all right. Second four. best. Four. Um, I'm, I'm no, I, I, love I love it. I love it. That's four. I want to put it five. Um, five is a tough one. Let's pick a championship player. Pick a championship player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm taking uh, taking DeAndre Hunter. I'm taking MVP. Taking MVP. I like it. It's a solid list. How do you feel about that, Fresh? I love it. I think is Jerome the first guy to to do a woman? No, uh, no. After me, first one to pick Monica. After Wright. me, Monica no, Wright definitely. A couple of people yeah. picked Don Staley. Yeah, yeah. Don Staley's but been you, on a few times. Yeah, I was, I was, I was early in the game though. I was early to the Don Staley game for the record. Dougie, you don't have an issue with his five? Because I dropped a hint earlier who should be on yeah. his list. Right. Yeah, we 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 told him it was, there was foreshadowing, right? I told, I told I told you. Dougie talks about things in every conversation. <laughs> I, I Jerome, I, I said foreshadowing. Watch play. <laughs> I didn't watch him play, so it would be fair. Yes. He's a math guy. He's a math econ guy. He's not a, he's not a history. Buff. True. Right. I have no – no. I do, but I don't, you know. That's my guy. Well, we appreciate you. Brother. We appreciate you so much jumping on. This was amazing. It was awesome yeah. to talk, talk you through all this stuff. Yeah, I think fans are gonna love it. We haven't heard from you in a while, but obviously, everybody wants to follow you as much as it's hard though. With in some of these, you know, leagues you're in. Sure. Yeah, I think we, you. I don't even have air conditioning in the gym, so it's. I'm gonna guess a Twitch feed is a little much to ask. Right. Please. Oh, Jerome, <laughs> we we got we got to do we got to do a quick podcast later in all in Portuguese. 
Yeah, you guys want you want to do you want you can you do it you can do any if you want to do a, a stretch in Portuguese we can we can do that. Pode ser, pode ser. Pode ser. Mas Vamos. a gente já falou de tudo, então o que falta para falar português? Não falou nada, mas só falar falar português, né? Porque lá só para é... mostrar que a gente pode consegue falar, que a gente está mostrando para todo mundo. Ah, olha. A gente pode falar português, ninguém entende o que a gente Rapaz, está falando. Pensa nas duas pessoas. Pensa nos dois jogadores, um faculdade que fala português fluente. É. Não existe, né? Nós dois. Dois, é. Nas Como épocas aqui, diferentes. Né? Uma época antes. É. Pois é. Pois é. Só na Grudano's épocas. Now we could do one though. He has a big following. I'm telling you, he's got a big following in Flamengo. Yeah. yeah. No, and I'm me serious. Can do one. You can yeah. totally do one. We could put it on YouTube. You guys would have to give me the words, the description, and stuff, obviously. But I'm da- I'm down. I think it's a great idea. I'm down to do it. Yeah. Or if you want to do anything, can... like Jerome, if you want to do anything like that, we can help you later next season or whatever. If you want to do something, we can help you at least push it out in whatever way, shape, or form through Locker Room Nexus as an option. If you're like, yo, I want to do this, whatever blog I want to do. I mean, we've got a pretty decent sized following now, so you're welcome to use it anytime for whatever reason you need. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I will say, what's the, what's that commercial? The most interesting man in the world. Yeah. Dos Equis. Uh, I think Jerome might be the most interesting UVA basketball player. Yeah. I, what, so yeah, what is what what list do we put Jerome on? We always do a list when we when we launch these where you're the, you're the you know top answer. What do we put? What, what do you think the the list is for Jerome? List. He's like most interesting, most, most interesting or the smartest, <laughs> best at calculus. Calculus. Uh, <laughs> He's definitely micro. What about highest GPA? No, I'm just kidding. People won't know that. No, nah, he might he might be the load the 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 road less traveled too, right? He there's a lot. Right? There's a lot. You think you think you look at like yeah, there's the road there's less traveled. He, he could have gone Ed Burton, take the Wall Street job, chase the money, or UVA chase in the his, first place his was, life, man. Was yeah. it was it you know happened pretty quickly that that road didn't appear till the end? Yeah. There's a lot of options. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to work on the what list do we come with this podcast? Because we so Jerome, what happens is we put the list out and people react, and your podcast link stays at the top of that. Does that make sense? So so people then like the best hair one, da da da, like Gus Gerard's podcast is in the top of that, and then it's like da 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 people bat and forth, and it stays at the top of whatever Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and it keeps that podcast in the top of everyone's inbox essentially. So it's right. kind of a trick that we use. Um, so I have to come up with something. Maybe the most underrated again. I don't know. Yeah, we'll play around with it. Most underrated? Most, most, most improved? improved? Most improved is a good one. Yeah. Yeah, most I, put, improved. I put myself in that category too. The record. Yeah, most <laughs> improved. Maybe it is most improved from first to last I mean, year in terms of numbers. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, might yeah. Be, that might be so obvious though. Like, you think, look back on it. Maybe Jason Rogers, maybe... No, but who else comes out their fourth year compared to not yeah. playing? Not playing to them because pro. Of, and you talked about you talked a lot of stuff about the confidence thing, man. Jason in my Kane. time, we had got no, we had guys in my time 
who were real talented, and they would no be like, me. "I'm gonna no, I'm gonna play for a minute," and looking over my shoulder, over my shoulder, right? And it's like when you're on the court, man. If you're not you're not looking over your shoulder, you can do your thing. So I 100% get it. Yeah, you guys, have you have, have you guys it. seen his highlights in in Flamengo? A little bit. Just I mean, dunking, just, just yeah, dunking just on everybody. The continuous improvement from UVA on is kind of it's pretty awesome yeah. to see. I mean, I remember you played against the NBA team preseason. Yeah, we played against. Yeah, that was awesome. We played against the Magic twice. We played against the Grizzlies. We played against the Suns. And then I've also played against the Raptors. And you had some good games. Yeah, the, there's some Raptors. I had 22. Yeah. And then uh, the Suns, we played them competitively until the end. The first time we played Orlando was competitive until the end. The second time we played Orlando, they blew us out. But we played the Grizzlies, right. and I remember that game. It was fun. It was when Vince Carter was playing for the Grizzlies, and they had Marcus Gasol, they had yeah. uh, Tony Allen, Courtney Lee, uh, point guard Conley, and Zach Randolph. So we come out and we start 12-0. We had 12-0 run. We're feeling good. We're coming to timeout. Everybody is feeling good. I hear the coach cursing them out from our bench. I hear him cursing them out. So, okay, he does his thing. He curses them out. We go back on there. We can't advance the ball to pass half court. Right. Can't advance. Next thing you know, I look up, it's 27 to 12. We couldn't advance the ball past half court. They locked in. And I've never felt so small as when I was defending Marcus Hall. And one, one time he caught the ball, and I was like, He's going to spin baseline. He spun baseline. There's nothing I could do. I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. Huh. Couldn't stop right. it. Even when I thought that I cut him off, like he's so big and agile, he can move. He yeah. looks big on TV compared to – Marc Gasol can move. He's yeah. fast right. and quick. So I had him cut off one time. He spun and went to the other. Yeah. He's large. Large. And yeah. that, that, that's one thing that's for me. Elite. Brazilian, Brazilian players are missing are the handles. They don't have the same handles, but you know as why? Do. They don't. They don't start so young. They don't start oh, yeah. as young, and they don't have again. When they're young, no, you know why? They start. They start with their feet. Soccer, yeah, exactly. They don't start with their hands. Yeah. Footwork, footwork on point yeah. though. Right. That's that's a difference. And I remember the game was yeah. already over. They're up twenty something. Vince Carter checks into the game, and it was a fast break. And I had a chance to go and contest his three. But, like, I saw him and I was like, you know, that's Vic's car. I'm going to let him shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, though, man. I, yeah, I always wondered, man, that you've got to have, had to have a shot in the NBA. But, yes. Yeah. Just, a, lot of it's your, a lot of it's your agent, too, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I could have I made a different choice with agents. The one that had more NBA connections coming out of, uh, coming out of uh, UVA. But he wanted me to go to – Phoenix and train with him the whole summer. Because right. his deal was, you got to train with me. I have to make sure you're in Ready. shape and do yeah, everything yeah. before I send you to yeah. NBA guys. And I was, I just wasn't willing to do that. Yeah, that's fair. No regrets. Yeah, ten man. country, ten, ten, ten years, nine cities, three languages yeah, up until now. That's ten lifetimes for most people. Right. That's what life's right. all about, man. We, me, me, and you write a book together, yo. Right. Collaboration. You should. You should. For real, for real. That's awesome, though. <laughs>